a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 200 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, September the 30th, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last time. Our guest was none other than Dr. James Beckett. That was an excellent episode. Check that out on the YouTube channel. Next Saturday on the show, Ray Schulte, Director of Communications for the National, among other things, will be our guest. I would like to ask you to join close to half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards, build, organize, share your collections with friends, and find other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. They have grading partnerships and marketplace features are coming soon. So check out their Instagram account and join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking. Also, use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the email, through the email, through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars in value is fully insured by their guarantee. To use Veriswap, you upload your inventory, make trade, partial trade, or full cash offers to negotiate with thousands of traders already on the platform. Check them out on iOS and Android. They launched their live card show feature that lets dealers pre-list their inventory in the app. And when you're at a show, you can search the floor for items you want with shows that they are partnered with. As part of a special offer, your first trade in Veriswap is only $1. There's a referral link in the video description below for your convenience. I want to shout out Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect. He'll be joining us shortly for the Vintage Spotlight segment. And I want to thank Nick and Larry from the Sports Card Madness podcast for having me on their pod, which drops in the next week or so. A little bit of hockey talk there. Also, Tag Gradings Discord server is hopping. And I promise you, it actually is, is It's hopping, as is the Facebook group. Join other hobbyists who value consistent, reproducible, accurate, and unbiased grading who are chatting, buying and selling, and networking. Go to taggrading.com, the community tab, to join either the Discord or the Facebook groups. You'll find out first about tag rating drops, surprise flash drops, and everything else about tag as far as news goes. I want to thank all partners and sponsors for your continued support and all of you loyal viewers and listeners, 200 episodes in on this show, among the other shows that we do, we're, I think we're close to 500 total, but 200 for Sports Cards Live, pretty crazy. Happy to be here. Thank you all for being on this journey with me. And as always tonight, your comments and your questions are in play, so let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in his early teens, back in the early 80s, collecting 70s top baseball cards and chasing Robin Yount, George Brett, Paul Molitor, Ricky Henderson owed the nostalgia. In 1989, he got his first job as a PCGS coin encapsulator and sealer. And in 1991, he moved over to PSA as its first full-time employee and subsequently became the director of grading. His favorite teams are the San Francisco Giants and 49ers, the Golden State Warriors and the San Jose Sharks. And his favorite athletes of all time are Lou Gehrig and Cal Ripken Jr. He's originally from Los Alamitos, California, Currently hailing from Lake Oswego, Oregon. Let's bring him out. Mike Baker. 
Welcome to Sports Cards Live, pal. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. You are welcome. It's good to have you, Mike. I, I guess, you know, we met for the first time in person uh, at the National just back in July of, of this year. How was the National for you? Did you have a good time? And how, how happy were you to meet me? Very happy to meet you. <laughs> I've been watching your platform for a long time. I'm happy to be here for the 200th episode. Uh, the National was great for uh, NBA. Um, we had a, a huge corporate booth. We, you know, it was really done up. We, were, we just celebrated our three-year anniversary um, in uh, August. So we were, you know, happy to see where we started, where we become, and, uh, you know, onward and upward. Right on, right on. Uh, you know, this being the 200th episode of, Sport, of Sports Cards Live, which is, you know, I haven't been very vocal about that, but I wanted to see what was what was the, you know, anniversaries, birthdays, they have gemstones or precious metal, whatever. What is associated with 200? And I so I Googled it and diamonds are one of the things that came up. I thought MBA, you, you, you talk about MBA diamond. That's in it right under right under Mike's name. Everybody you can see the website MBA diamond.com. I thought, well, that's a that's a kind of a, a perfect match for episode 200. I threw a couple of diamonds up on the YouTube thumbnail. So uh, I'm glad to have you here tonight, Mike. I mean, your name is synonymous with I appeal and, and high quality cards. So it's, uh, you know, I like I appeal and high quality cards. So I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Let's hear a bit about your hobby history and kind of what took you, uh, you know, I guess, what positioned you to become PSA's first full-time employee and eventually the director of grading? Like, what was your journey up until then as far as the hobby goes considering you started chasing those 70s tops cards? Well, like most teenagers in the early 80s, I was, well, not most teenagers, but I was into uh, baseball cards in particular and um, had a real fond of, you know, tie to uh, the mid-70s, early 70s type stuff with, you know, Ryan and uh, Molitor and Brett, uh, et cetera, Henderson, and um, got into my kind of mid-teens and sports and girls was probably so I kind of drifted from the passion of collecting at that time and then got back into it in 1989 when I was hired uh, as a uh, coin encapsulator from PCGS so um, and then from there I was there just by happen chance uh, two years later PSA started and then I rekindled my passion for cards and uh, I immediately wanted to be a part of that and so basically by proximity I was fortunate enough to, you know, be in that position to say I want it. And they, at that time, you know, privately held company, the culture was super vibrant and uh, got the opportunity to, you know, start it and be a part of um, what was what was going to be happening over the, you know, the course of three decades, basically. So. So if I were to kind of ask, like, what was your resume that qualified you to be an like one, like the first professional grader in sports cards? Like to me, that's a that's that's a big deal like to me you're, you're a pioneer in in the of the industry not, you know not sports cards as, as a whole but as the as far as grading within our industry goes so what did you have a keen eye for it how did you how did you kind of go from being a collector to a grader and what did your superiors at PSA kind of expect from you as far as you know your ability to assess a card well, at that time in 1989, um, when I got back into coins, um, there were coin and card shows. So I would go to the Long Beach Card Coin Expo and I saw what was happening and I immediately got back into my rekindle my passion then. And so I was, you know, buying and selling and trying to figure it out, you know, how 
where the industry was going. And even at that time, you know, 86 Donruss was big with Conseco and, and track and cards like that. So that was, you know, you could buy a card out of a box and, you know, walk to the next table and, and sell it for a profit. So I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. You know? And from there in 1981, when PSA started, um, I started as a, a, a card encapsulator, kind of a jack of all trades, you know, shipping, customer service, um, you know, encapsulation. And at that time it was so, you know, uncharted territory that there wasn't really like, hey, here's your qualification. You had to, you know, you had to do this or you had to do that. So by over time, they created a grading test, the, the contractors or dealers that they had at the time that kind of helped, you know, formulate what was going to go down. And I was a part of that formulation in the early nineties. And so from there, it was, you know, hey, Mike, you're here, you know, let's, you know, take the test that they provided. I took the test, I passed it, and I kind of cleared the, the way for me to, you know, ascend. How I'm curious, like we talk about grading standards and all the grading companies have their standards published on their websites. What, like, how were those originally drawn up? Were you a part of that as well? Did you do it with your team? Like, where did where did our hobbies original grading standards come from? I mean, originally you could probably go back to SED and the old Beckett guides, honestly, because back then it wasn't defined like it is today. So it was like, you know, X mint, near mint, mint. And then with grading, when it came on, they defined it more clearly, more defined. So it was near mint plus, you know, you know, X mint plus, and it really got it narrowed. And so at the onset of PSA, um, they had a, a, a a consortium of dealers that helped put it all together. And then as it evolved, I was, I was a part of the evolution of tighten it up. Hey, that, that doesn't work. This works, you know, centering in the back should be this or front centering should be that. So I, I was a part of that. How many graders would you say were on staff? Like you ascended to being the director of grading mm-hmm. tells me that there was probably a staff. You couldn't have done this all by yourself. Uh, tell us a bit about the the evolution of the grading department, the sports card, or I guess PS. I can't just say the grading department at PSA. I guess the the grading team at PSA. Right. Well, at that time, it was myself and a guy named Adam Rothens, um, and it was just us. I mean, at that time, there was a lot of you know, a lot of people. A lot of the community wasn't happy about grading coming on board. It was change. It was. So there wasn't, you know, I mean, the volume that PSA gets today is way different than the volume that we had then. I mean, it was hundreds of cards a month as opposed to hundreds of thousands of cards a month. And so at that time, it was there wasn't really a, a staff. As it grew, there there was a staff, and um, and fortunately, a lot of the guys that I helped um, hire and train are still there to this day. And so I'm really proud that those guys have, you know kept the tradition, the legacy, and, um, and they're keeping the ship steered in the best possible direction that they can do. So I, f- I feel good about that. So at the beginning, you know, as you just said, it was kind of based on the, the mag, the, the Beckett magazines and SCD and that, um, how, how has, how did you guys approach things like being consistent and also adhering to the standards, you know, as an, as an observer in the hobby and a, you know, 40 plus year collector, and also just somebody who takes in some hobby content and listens to the narratives. There's a, you know, there are sort of thoughts out there that the adherence to this, to the standards sort of changes because we've seen 
back in the day, it seemed like they might have, they, you, your team, whoever over the years might have graded easier back then, harder now. And some people think the standards have changed, or I believe the adherence to the standards have changed, but I don't know that the standards have changed. I could be, I could be right, completely wrong on that. So please feel free to set me straight and just speak to that a little bit. Well, back then too, there was no half grades. So for the first, say, 13, 14 years, or actually longer, um, there was no half grade. So it was either a six, a seven, an eight, or a nine, or a 10. So, you know, back then it was either, you know, like this is a really high-end seven or a week eight. You know, if they had if they had an awesome eye appeal or a better centering, you know, maybe what could have been termed as a 7.5 was an eight because there was no way to go. It was just at that time it was deemed where that card had higher attributes. And it you know, at that time with the grading centers that we had it, then um, it, it became an eight, you know? So, and I think that when people look back on um, wh where the grades were then or what the grading center was, it's just different now. You know, it's, that's basically apples to oranges as opposed to what we're dealing with right, right now, because the, the line has changed relative to adding half grades. If we had half grades at, at that time, it would have been, I think everybody today could probably go, oh, you know, it wasn't as loose or hard or whatever. There'd be more clarification on it, you know? Yeah, the half grade does throw a little bit of a kink in, into the question, I suppose, as far as, you know, because that adding a half grade, I don't know that that changes the grading standards. It might add levels, but the standards are still going to be the same. Were you there when the half grade? I remember when the half grade was added. Now there was a rush to get that half grade bump if you could. Right. Um, were you there for that? I was not. Well, no, I, I left I left in um, uh, late 2001. And I think the change happened in 03, 04, if I had memory serves me correct, right around then. So, I mean, it definitely changed again because, if, you know, obviously if you're a collector or a dealer and, you know, your card was a, a really high end eight, but it was never going to get a nine, having an 8.5 was, you know, a huge benefit. How So, so, so you, gra you grade a card back then. Um, how many people would grade the card? How many people would look at it in the, at the beginning of time? We had two graders look at the card and then it would go to a verifier. So once it was encapsulated, there'd be a kind of a final, a final grader to ensure that everything's, you know, went through the grading or the sealing process. It comes back to the final verifier. That verifier signs off on the, you know, the final grade basically. Right. Right. And so how tough was it for your team back then to be consistent? Well, I guess, you know, you know, from a grading point of view, you know, we always try to be consistent. You know, there's no grader that wants to be inconsistent because then it, you know, you get a card that, you know, came in and graded an eight and then another card that looks exactly like it doesn't grade an eight. But within that, the communication of why it didn't grade an eight is I think a bigger, bigger thing. You know, I hear, I've heard, I've listened to your platforms and others and you get a card back and it's an eight or a nine and no one understands why, you know, you just get, a, you know, you get your card in a plastic holder and it's, you know, it's an eight, you know, there's no like, Oh, well it has, you know, a slight corner hit or, you know, a scratch or something that, it doesn't, doesn't elevate to the higher grade. And, you know, and we always talk about, or I listen to a lot of the customer concerns, collectors and dealers alike about, you know, how, how, why isn't my card this, you know, and, you know, getting an opportunity to see it after, and you, you are talking to that, that client, you can, you can, you know, illustrate and give them, you know, the information. And once they get it, you know, they, they walk away going, maybe I don't agree with you, but I see it. So, you know, I think that in the consistency, you know, it's, it's subjective. And at the end of the day, it's an opinion. But I, I guarantee you that every grader 
that's worth his salt is trying to do the best he can with the standards that are there. And you try to be consistent to that standard. So, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to try to get you to talk about what's going on at PSA now because you've been gone for over 20 years. So I don't want to do that to you and I don't want to do that to them. I don't think that would be really fair. Um, but I'm trying, I just want to get gain insight into what it was like back then. I mean, I remember when grading be- first became a thing. Uh, so let's let me ask you this what were the what was it like going to card shows with those first PSA slabs and showing them to people and trying to gain traction for a grading as a, as a service in the marketplace? It was it was challenging. I mean, the majority of the dealers, you know, for you know since the onset of, of, of the collectible community, there was no grading. It was the, the dealer eye, the dealer experience and the dealer trust that they had with their client saying that this card was this, or that card was that. And so when the grading came in, it was like, Oh, I'll buy that card. If PSA or a grading service signed off on it, meaning that I agree with what the dealer is selling me as a near mint to mint card. And then it becomes in plastic and it's an, it's an eight because you know, that that's how it evolved. But going to the shows in the early days, it was hard because you had to show the difference of why the card made more sense value wise to be in plastic as opposed to being in a screw down. You know, why should I spend money with a, a grading service uh, when I don't need to? And so there was a lot of friction for that for a long time. I mean, the ads in SCD were, you know, they had a Ghostbuster ad, you know, in the bottom left of a lot of dealer you know, uh, advertisements that said, say no to grading. And that, that, that lasted for, for years in the mid nineties and whatnot. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy, easy road for sure. What about the internet though? Because in the early nineties, we didn't have the internet. The internet didn't come around until like the mid nineties, basically. So did the, did, did the rise of the internet because when people talk about why do we even need grading? Uh, my answer is, is always, well, it, it really arose when we had people purchasing cards sight unseen remotely. So having a third party opinion versus the dealer who's an eBay seller, let's say, tell you what the condition was and you receive the card and you have no recourse really because it's the early days of eBay. How big was the internet and eBay eventually for PSA and grading overall? Game changer. I mean, it it, it changed the whole, I mean, in the, in the early to mid nineties, you know, you had SCD and you had your advertisements in Beckett. You had basically two platforms to, you know, get your information about what you had to sell and or find out information to buy. So the reality when eBay came on board, it was like, wow, now you're communicating with with collectors and dealers across the world. And, you know, now the information's flowing, you know, the uh, recognition of why getting a card encapsulated made so much more sense because it was a safer bet. It's an, you know, it's an insurance that, you know, what you're being sold is what it is signed off by a third party. And that was huge. Definitely. And I believe that's the the main benefit of grading to the, well, things change. I mean, but to me, that was what, what gave grading it, it, it's for its first real steps and, and push, push it into, to being, you know, almost the center of, of, of the industry now. Um, okay, let's go to some comments here. There's lots of, there's questions coming through. So let's see, we got Mike Double V. Congratulations on 200 episodes. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you 
Jacob Dahl. You've been here for probably most of them. Uh, Sylvan, what a milestone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Mike. Thank you, Frank Gastella, Michael Stone, Jeff McMahon. Welcome, everybody, to the show tonight. Bobby Baseball, thank you. Tim Marin, love the content and dedication. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. Mark, thank you. Triple V, thank you. 130 point in the house. What's going on? The perfect choice for a guest to celebrate. Yeah, pretty happy to, to have Mike Baker here with us tonight. Good evening to the professor. He says, looking forward to the discussion with the first human grader and possible future discussion with chat GPT about the first non-human machine grader. Mark Santucci, welcome to the show. Lapper, good evening to you. Jeff Hart, good evening. Mark Santucci always wants to know, do you clock 70s hockey, Mike? I don't. I, I, although that if I had an opportunity to go after a, a Gretzky, I, I would. <laughs> Chris C says, grading, you surely don't mean pop report manipulation. Why don't we just stop on that for one sec, Mike? Sure. What are your thoughts when you hear people talk about population manipulation? Well, I mean, it would... If a grader looks at a card and he can't articulate why, you know, the card should be this or should be that, then maybe that falls into that. But I really believe that every grader is looking to grade the card accurately and try to keep the consistency that you were talking about going. So I think there'd be a lot of, a, a lot of, you know, hanky pinky going on out there way more than what, what's out there. If that was the case, that's my opinion. I, I think that when you get a card, you look at it, you make sure it's, you know, authentic, you, you look for it for alterations, and then you grade it according to the standard that it is. And, you know, if a card, if a card has a corner hit on it, it's not going to be a nine or a 10. So, you know, sometimes cards are, are tough, you know, sometimes, especially the newer cards, you know, centering and, you know, uh, scratches and things like that prevent it from going. So, you know, and I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, being able to communicate with the, the submitter or client, dealer, collector, and, and just telling him or showing him why it didn't go. And I think that would alleviate a lot of that perception of population control if, you know, those opportunities availed themselves. So here's a tough question. Do you think there's ever been any hanky-panky in the grading rooms at the preeminent grading companies? I, I, th I Well, I can't speak to, you know, is it possible? Sure. Um, you know, opinion-wise, I'd like to believe that, you know, we're all professionals in on the grading side of things. And that, that, that basically would ruin your, your reputation, your service. You know, I, I, I just don't see that if it did happen, I'm sure it would get caught and then it would be rectified and then would just move on. It wouldn't be something that's an ongoing type of thing, you know, because then you, you, your, your company's name is going to go South. Yeah. Fair, fair. Chris C says, once PSA charged me for a card they didn't grade, I stopped grading. I'll consider using SGC or maybe tag based on cost and service. Terry Fortune, Fortune wants to know, did Mike grade the Honus Wagner? I did not. You didn't? No, I encapsulated it though. And I remember that day, uh, Bruce McNall and his team, or not his team, but there was a, like 14 or 15 people watching that card get encapsulated. So of all the cards that I've ever encapsulated at that, you know, at that time when I was, you know, encapsulating, um, I, I was, uh, I had to be game on, I was on point, you know, to make sure that that card went perfectly in the plastic holder. And, you know, I had a lot of people over my head watching that encapsulation go down. So there was no damage at that time. So I've, maybe I was wrong in both the description of this video and my intro that you were the first 
the hobby's first professional grader. So you yeah. weren't then if somebody else graded that the Wagner. That, that was the very first card. They they well, it wasn't the first card that got graded. It was the first. It was the first card that had some major notoriety, or you know, it was the epicenter of getting or helping PSA get on the map at that time. Um, so yeah, I, I had nothing to do with that card relative to the grading, but definitely the encapsulation. What I was saying um, with the description, the first full-time employee, the first full-time uh, grader. So th those are contractors, you know, the guys that helped, as I said earlier, um, the consortium of guys that got together to help build the standard, et cetera. So that's so what that's was the Wagner, I mean, it holds the serial number, you know, 0001. Right. Was it in fact the first card encapsulated by PSA? No. So they reserved that serial number for a big card. The Correct. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jeff Hart says, Mike, what impact did you observe the set registry made for PSA when it started? The set registry was, at that time, the set registry was like, hey, what, what's this all about? You know, and I, I and, and the, um, the uh, CEO of the at the time, David Hall, he he always said that if we could make the collectability of commons and get people to chase something other than rookies, other than stars, and you could get you know commons become a value and 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 of need, that the set registry is going to help push collectors, push dealers to then collect or put together sets, and then having the competitive nature with a GPA, a GPA system you know, with higher, like I have the highest grade point average for that set, it really set it off. And at the early days, I was like, kind of skeptical, you know, but today it's, it's really paid dividends for, for everybody, you know, so it's, it's been kind of, kind of fun to watch it evolve that way. Certainly has been. Chrissy says they need greater notes mandatory at all companies. You've <laughs> kind of alluded to, to a bit of that, you, you've put it tonight as, you know, if they can articulate why a card grades the way it does, then they should be comfortable with the grade is I think, you know, uh, to paraphrase what you were saying before, would, would you, if you were to start a, if you were to start a grading company, you kind of have, but if you were to start, you know, a full blown grading company, would yeah. you issue uh, grader notes or, or grading reports? Uh, the way, you know, at tag grading tag offers a, a completely detailed grading report, right. uh, but I don't know anyone else that really does. Uh, you have heat maps with uh, in, at the MBA side of things with, with yep. your PWCC uh, yep. partnership, but what would you do today? I would, I, well, with the heat mapping, I think it's huge. Um, greater notes or a heat map is basically the same thing. It's basically highlighting the areas that are being seen by the grader to, uh, to illustrate what, what we're seeing. And so I, I think that, that, that is huge. Um, that's a big get. You, you can, you know, greater notes, it's just another expense. You know, when when grading services have the multitude of volume that they have with the cards, it's just, you know, get, get make sure it's real, it's not altered, and then put it in a holder, slap a grade on it, and get it out. Um, that's just going to slow it down, um, I think. You know, with us at NBA, with the service that we provide for our rock card service, heat mapping, it does slow it down. But at the end of the day, it'll show you, it, 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 it narrows the communication line. Like it'll give you that extra little pop. And then from there, if I see you at a show and you want to take it further, then I can, yeah, I saw this on the heat map. It showed upper right. I couldn't really see it. What do you, what do you actually see? Throw it under the light. I, I point it out and it's like, oh, there it is. So it, you know, that really helps. And, you know, then the guy could walk away going, I get it. Or he goes, well, I really, I don't, I don't agree. But at least there was a conversation to, you know, 
talk about what the issues, in my opinion, were there. And that helps. Deep value investor says, I think grading companies like the subjectivity of it all because it keeps people cracking and resubbing around and around, driving revenue for grading companies. You're, 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 you're responding. I can I mean, see why don't you? I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the reality is, is that, you know, you try to be as consistent as possible, but, you know, a car can get cracked out and it can be resubmitted and the grade hopefully comes back the same that you, or the, you know, the team did prior. Maybe it changes. Maybe it goes down. Maybe it goes up. Maybe someone saw something that didn't, that wasn't seen the first time through, you know? So, but I don't think there's like a conspiracy to make it where, you know, we're the grading service are forcing people to crack cards out. And with the values of the cards that they're at right now, that's a big gamble. You know, I mean, it's, I, I, I would, me personally, if I had a card that I didn't, didn't agree with on the collector end or even a dealer, I'd w- at least want to get some communication about what did you see when I really believe in this card and then have that conversation from there, take the gamble if it's warranted. If not, then you're satisfied with the communication that I was able to provide. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there's people that have made businesses out of, you know, buying what they feel are cards that are, uh, could be graded higher and they do grade higher. And I mean, just from a my time, you're going to get a different grade the second time than the first time. Um, but that's uh, part, part of the game, I suppose. And, uh, and it is, it's subjectivity. It's human. It's an opinion and, you know, different people, different days and all those sorts of things. Not, not, nothing really, really too new there, I don't think. Okay. I agree. Uh, I, well, well, not to over talk, but the uh, one thing that we do at NBA is when we go to shows and people have a, uh, a question, I'm, I'm there, my business partner, Demon Warner is there. So we're there to talk and, you know, articulate where we're coming from. And, you know, that's been our mantra. You know, I think communication about what's what, who's who is, is important. And people can walk away with a smile or kind of, ah, gosh, man, I wish, I wish it would grade harder, but I didn't see it or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's, yeah, that, that's, that's the hobby we are in right now. All right. Leighton Sheldon has joined us in the green room. I see you there, buddy. You ready to come up? He's, he's nodding. We're going to bring up Leighton Sheldon for the, the vintage spotlight. And as always, I've asked you, Mike, to come with a question for Leighton. I've asked Leighton to come with a question for Mike. So without further ado, Leighton Sheldon, uh, welcome back, bud. How have you been? Good, thanks. What's up, Jeremy? How are you, Mike? Doing great, Leighton. Good to see you, my man. Yeah, good, great to see you as well. Good, good to see you. So why don't we start with, uh, why don't we start, Mike? Why don't you pose your question for Leighton that you came uh, equipped with. So Leighton, I was thinking about the question when Jeremy was doing the pre-op with me. Um, my question to you is, um, where do you see relative to the breaking network with whatnot, TikTok and eBay live and, and fanatics, um, are guys going to get paid like exclusives to like stay within on one or within one platform? Or is there, do you still have the flexibility to, you know, with your platform to, to go where you choose or how do you think that's going to evolve? Well, it's a great question. I think it's fluid. So <laughs> I think that today, you know, without naming any particular breakers or where info came from, I know for a fact that some breakers are exclusive to, let's say, one platform. Um, for us, you know, meaning here at Vintage Breaks, we are not. But listen, you know, the folks who are running these platforms like Fanatics Live, whatnot, eBay Live, these are very astute business people. So whether it be it is today, Mike, I don't know that it'll be the same in three months, 
three years, so on and so forth. Um, great question. I really wish I knew the answer uh, because then I would tell my team. Um, but, you know, <laughs> the reality of it is, uh, like I said, I think it's, it's very fluid. Uh, and the reason being is, just, you know, landscape is still being shaped. Uh, so, you know, the time will tell. Fair enough. Thanks, Layton. And uh, everybody, Layton from Just Collect and Vintage Breaks. You can follow him on Instagram. Check the ticker right now. Listen to his podcast, Trading Card Therapy, as well. Layton, what did you bring? What question did you bring from Mike Baker? Well, I have, uh, you know, a couple of questions. One of these is kind of old school. And, you know, we'll kind of see what Mike says about this. So, you know, back in the day, and even literally as of like this past weekend, I'm listening to content about, you know, these, um, I guess all these different theories about population control. And so seeing as how you were on the ground floor, uh, you know, at PSA, and of course for a while at GAI, although I don't know if the pop report was really in play there. Um, when you were at PSA, do you recall or, or ever remember there being, you know, a formal meeting and, hey boys, the 93 SP Jeters is too tough. We shouldn't give out any more tens or, you know, uh, the 52 mantle, um, you know, is, is now heating up. Should we not give out as many eights or whatever the case is? And I, I caught some of your conversation with Jeremy before I came on. Um, and, and so I kind of feel it might be in a similar vein as far as like conspiracy theory and all that kind of stuff. But I, I did want to hear from you what your take was on it. I will say relative to like an SP Jeter or a 52, if there was ever a conversation it was to ensure that high value cards were looked at, Hey guys, if this thing's going to be, if this thing's a shot 10 or a shot nine or whatever it may be, make sure you're, this, this isn't a fly by the night thing. And you know, you're not thinking about lunch or what you're doing after work and that you were really giving it, the, you know, the extra, the extra pop, the extra look. And so a little bit more time on it to ensure that uh, you weren't making a mistake. And so, you know, that's what I can, that's what I would consider, you know, an answer to that question, you know, I wouldn't definitely not say it's pop control. I would say it's just a harder look, you know? Makes um, sense. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Layton, where are you? What, what's going on with you right now? Where, where are you at? Uh, well, I'm actually at home here in Hoboken. Um, but I did have another question more really for both of you guys, but also the audience. And I figured Mike with MBA doing what you guys do over there. Um, I have a feeling, I think I know how you answer it, but I was curious uh, what everyone else thinks as well. And so, you know, I've long thought this and I'm not a professional grader. I just, you know, grade my cards like a lot of other dealers and collectors do. But I do feel like we've reached a point where, you know, we don't know when, if, if and when AI will ever hit grading and help grading. So putting that aside for a moment, at what point and at what dollar level do we believe that auction houses, eBay sellers, sellers such as myself who might sell in person at a convention, do we think that we should be providing a report to someone a little bit more than you're just simply giving someone a $20,000 card and a plastic case? When do you think, at what dollar level, and do you think this will ever happen where it's gonna be kind of like required in our industry that a certain dollar level and above card that's graded will come with some sort of report? Well, currently with NBA, with our raw service, and even with our NBA diamond service, we provide that report. So we're doing that. I, I think, you know, the, the heat map, we threw some dollar level amount of money into, you know, creating that technology so that customers and dealers alike can see what we're seeing on our end to illustrate the areas of concern, uh, a scratch, a, a thumbprint, a, a wrinkle, a crease, whatever it may be. 
on the diamond level, our diamond service that we provide, it gets a little report card. You know, it, it's already coming in plastic from one of the you know, PSA, SGC, BGS, or CGC. And we, we have a little report card that goes in the back and say it's a PSA 10 SP Jeter. And, you know, it, it didn't make the, the, the muster for a sticker. And on the report card, it'll show, you know, a scratch, a little edge wear, whatever it may be. So there is some, you know, some mechanism for the client that submitted the card to then find out what we saw to alleviate just getting a card back and not having any information about why it didn't get a sticker and or, you know, what are the issues on the NBA raw service line? So it's a great service, Mike. Um, I'm curious as someone who bids actively at auctions and is bidding in heritage tonight and last night, yeah. can a collector dealer investor, can we utilize your services virtually and email you or text you a scan of a card in an auction or are you not there yet? Actually, it's, it's a great question. Um, I, we are, we've been having this kind of an ongoing conversation uh, within NBA for the diamond service line uh, to create a, uh, a scan mechanism where you can scan the front and back of the card so that we can take a look at it, kind of like a quick review that there is for autographs. We're talking about doing something similar with that so that at the bare minimum, we can tell you um, relative to centering and try to give you a quick opinion and like kind of a likely candidate, kind of likely no, and then try to, you know, the cards have, the cards have so much value now that shipping them with insurance and all that stuff is a big, you know, barrier to, to coming to us at shows. It's not because you submit it, you get it back the same day or the next day, it's all good. But sending a card from Hoboken to Tigard, Oregon, where our offices are located and it's a hundred thousand dollar card, you're going to think twice, but if there's a mechanism to say, Hey, you know, for five or 10 bucks, whatever it may be, um, is this a likely candidate? And that's what we're discussing right now. So I wouldn't be surprised in the not too distant future if that technology became, you know, introduced and uh, available for uh, for clients to use. The hobby would be grateful for that. Please do that. Perfect. I can see it working for centering, but that's about it. At, at the at the resolution that we're getting, that you can get on a on a on a phone image, for example, you need. You know, a PWCC has really great high res images. I can, when I'm doing my PWCC shows, I can zoom right in and see exact, see the corners and the edges really close. Surface still is really tough to to tell in two dimensions. So right. I, I like it from a. I like that you said there, Mike. You said centering because if you had said much more, I would have thought. Well, I don't know. I I think it's it's try it's good for centering. Does that resonate? 100%. The the centering for, for the NBA Diamond Service is huge, both for the front and the back. So just that, we get so many cards that get submitted um, at shows where the centering is the issue. So from that perspective, I think that the quick review, whatever we describe it as, will help. And so, you know, I'd much rather have Leighton not send a, you know, a vintage card to us or whatever it may be, if it's just a centering issue and we can kind of just kill it right there, you know, and for a nominal fee to find that out, everybody's happy. My, my answer, Leighton, you know, obviously I'm affiliated with tag grading and with every card that tag grades, you get a, a full detailed grading report. It's, it's, you know, uh, I understand that MBA's heat map is, is somewhat of a report, but, um, it, it's, it's night and day compared to what tag offers. Mike, you've seen a tag grading report, I assume. Yes. Yeah, so well, it's 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 got a lot of information. I, I think for for what Tag is is doing, it's it's doing it right for the cars that they grade. You know, uh, for what they're providing, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. 
But so I think, but Leighton, your question on like what dollar value, should we expect it? Should we expect to know? I, I think it, to me, it, it should somewhat be aligned with the amount that you're paying, you know? Now I can speak, you know, tag is automated. It's automated grading. It's not AI grading. It's, it's automated grading. So the spitting out, creating that report doesn't add a ton of more time, let's say, but for a human grading company, I think if people want the additional information, you might have to pay a different service level versus their, their cheapest economy level pricing. That said, I want all the information I can get. I would like graders notes with every single submission. And, um, but that's, that's just me. That's what I, one of the reasons I fell in love with tag and became affiliated was because I like that level of detail. I like to know what I'm getting when I buy a house, although it's a lot more money than a $40 card, you know, you have it, you have an inspection done. You want to make sure you know what you're getting. You buy a car, you want to know what you're getting. You buy, a, you buy an, an investment. You get, there are, there are all sorts of reports that need to be filed and, and financial statements and auditors reports and all these different MDNAs and all these things you need to, you need to have in order to be able to sell. The hobby is one area where you don't need to tell your clients anything about what you're doing for them. You just give them the card back in the plastic and, uh, or maybe not in the plastic and just say, thank you very much. Hope to see you again. But my, my thought, but to take a, to give you a better answer, Layden, I would, I would think that, you know, anything over a thousand dollars in value, um, I'd be willing to pay a bit extra to get a grading report if I were still willing to use human grading companies, which I'm just not for certain cards for most cards anymore. But that that's just me. Good. So, right. I think uh, it's it's great feedback. Um, I really just like in general the discussion that we're having. I mean, really think about how far Mike. I've known you a long time, man. Um, you know uh, the the hobby has gone through a lot, like every other industry. And I'm excited about your company, Mike. Um, and I was going to kind of close with, sim similar to Mascot, which now my company, Just Collect, is actively using, mainly because I ran into Ezra on Jeremy's podcast. I'm not going to take up any more time today, Mike, but I'd love to connect offline because, you know, we are buying, let's say, a lot of cards here. And, you know, I'm bidding in auctions. And I'm just thinking, like, wow, you know, not just when I'm buying, but if I'm selling a 53 tops Jackie, which is a very popular card now, you know, a five or a six didn't used to be a huge grade on that card. Well, now that's several thousand dollars. People are more concerned with not just the centering, the surface, so on and so forth. And so, you know, Mike, I have been paying attention to some of the differences when cards are tagged with, you know, your certification. And I just think the money aside, right? If you provided your service for free, which I realize you can't, um, I think it's wonderful for the industry as it stands. And as you said, Jeremy, whether it's a thousand dollar level or if it's $10,000, I just think that the more informed that the consumer, customer, investor, whatever the case is, that's buying the card, they're going to feel better. They're going to feel like they can go back in and they're not going to only buy a diamond once in their life or a Gretzky rookie or a mantle rookie once in their life. They're going to have that much more confidence to make bigger and more intelligent purchases. And I just think that's going to be better for all of us moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree with that person late. And I think eventually the big money spenders are going to get a little queasy with spending big money on cards where they have no idea why they got the grade they did. I think Mike already, Mike already knows they do that. I mean, I have people, I don't work for Heritage. In the last 48 hours, I've had several texts come to me. Late, what do you think of this card? No one pays me for my opinion. 
right? They truly just want to know. Mike's grinning, but he knows this is the case. And so as much as I love the help, and I know you two love the help, it really would be better to have something that's a little bit more institutional that we all can rely on, not just here in this group, but outside money that's coming in. You don't, you don't want to be embarrassed and someone buys a 50000 10000 $100,000 plus card, and they're like, oh, my goodness, there's a tear on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Wish we would have caught that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Leighton. Uh, the Vintage Spotlight with Leighton Sheldon. Every episode of Sports Cards Live, everybody. You can follow him at Leighton underscore Sheldon and just underscore collect on Instagram. And, of course, his, his podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Thanks, Leighton. Good to see you, as always. Good to see you guys. Thanks, Leighton. Take care, pal. Bye. All right. So we've got lots of questions and comments coming through, Mike. So let's, uh, we are also, just so everybody knows, we are going to bring on eventually Mike's partner at NBA Diamond, uh, Damien, who is the CEO of the company. You're the director of, of grading. We're going to bring Damien, Damien on soon, but uh, let's get to some more questions and comments. And uh, and then I have a, a, a an area I want that I want to speak to you about, uh, Mike. But let's go to Mookie Chilson says, how did you guys view your competitors back in the day? I wonder what you all thought when Beckett created BVG for vintage. SGC came along, you know, KSA in Canada, GAI. What was what was the what was the overall landscape like early on for you from the PSA grading perspective? Well, at that time, you know, I was a lot younger and I wanted it to just be PSA. <laughs> so we were very competitive. We wanted to be the only service in town, the only service that, you know, dealers and collectors viewed as the, uh, the, the foundation of, of Grady basically. And, uh, you know, but, you know, with, as I got older and, uh, you know, competition breeds new innovation, it, you know, it, it provides a collector, uh, collector dealer choice. It brings down prices. So it's a good thing. So I'm, I'm happy that, uh, Gradient services out there that are, are doing it the right way or trying to do it the right way. And I think it's good, um, provided obviously everyone's trying to do it the right way. You know, there's packaging services out there that are so-called gradient services, which, you know, that's up to the collector or dealer to decide what they want to do with their product. But from a from a grading point of view, from a true grading point of view, I, I believe, you know, the guys that are, you know, are, are doing it right or the, guys, the more established gradient services are the ones that, uh, you know, I, I would lean on as if I was on that side of the table. Yeah, you know, I've I've for three and a half years now doing this show, I've always said that if I'm gonna submit cards to a grading company, I wanna know who the graders are, a little bit about them, and not that it's just you know what I refer to as a basement grading company sort of thing, which we've seen we've seen several of. And then somebody might say, Well, what about how, how are you involved with tag grading? Well, I happen to know that tag gradings um, you know, our 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 head of grading was somebody that, that you hired over at PSA early on. Um, just, just to put that, just to put that out there. I think, I think it's important because, you know, when, when CG, when CSG started up their sports division, they hired two of the lead graders from, from Beckett yep. grading. And I thought that was, I mean, it wasn't great for Beckett grading, but I thought it was a really smart move for them. And I thought, well, you know, these guys know what they're doing. They, they know, you know, they're, they've got experience in grading. So that's a good thing versus, you know, I forget how you just worded it, kind of the, oh, the packaging companies that come up. And yeah, I would personally, I, I don't want to use them. I want to know kind of what, I, what I'm getting. Um, okay. The professor wants to know, uh, considering PSA had a verifier, how hard is it to judge the grade of a card 
that's already in a slab. Well, the, the car the car at that time was already graded by two raw graders. So really it's just making sure that through the process that everything's, you know, where it should be making you know, kind of the, the final verifier check to make sure that no one missed anything. You know, if, if two guys missed it and the final verifier, final verifier catches it in plastic, then it's a conversation. Maybe it gets cracked out, you know, something happens, whatever that, that does happen or did happen. So, um, but you can see things. I mean, just because the card's entombed in plastic doesn't mean that you, especially in the, in the proper setting, you know, which every grading service is, isn't grading, you know, outside, you know, with weather and whatnot. So basically they're, they're looking at the card as is after it's already been predetermined by two previous graders um, where it sits. So it's basically a quality control check and ensure that nothing is going out that would be termed, you know, something that shouldn't be out there. And that, that's, that's where it's at. Got it. Okay, good. Jeff Hart says, over the years, were there any time frames where you saw or caught more alterations than normal? I think when, um, after what you talked about earlier with when eBay came onto the scene and grading became more of a standard relative to, there was more value if you got your card graded. I think we saw a, a, a larger percentage of cards um, that were coming in that, you know, were in plastic screw downs that time kind of sold the way it used to be sold prior to grading coming on. So we would see cards would come in, you know, at a higher frequency at that point for sure. Okay. Uh, here's a, here's a funny comment from, uh, from, from Vendaloria Warlock says, so this is the guy we can all thank for making the hobby worse, not better. Thank you for introducing grading as a way to scam people. I mean that it's a, it's, it's, it's literally comedy, a, a comment like that. Whereas, uh, Whereas Deep Value Investor says, I disagree. I love grading in general and think it has contributed to the huge growth in the hobby. What do you think, Mike? Do you think that, uh, as Vendoralia here says, that uh, that it ruined the hobby? I mean, listen, the hobby's only grown exponentially since then. So I don't think it's, well, I, maybe, maybe it depends what you're measuring growth by. But the hobby has gotten to where it is today. Seems to be pretty strong. Uh, and grading is, is a fundamental part of it. Um, so your thoughts on his comment and, you know, and then when you consider a deep values comment as well, that he thinks it's contributed to huge growth, which I agree with. What are your thoughts? My thought is, um, bad actors contributed to grading coming on board. So if, if people were deceiving collectors and, you know, people were selling stuff that wasn't accurately, you know, a near mint to mint card, if it wasn't an eight, it was really a six and they were making near mint to mint money, but then they were selling a, a an X-Mint product then, and that's, that happened. And it quite frequent, quite frequently. And that's what was one of the things that brought on grading. You know, there was a big, a, a big slew of stuff that was going on back in the day and grading tightened it up. It added an insurance to ensure that, Hey, if this dealer is going to sell me this product, at that price is the condition from him going to match what an independent party is going to say. You know, if people were playing above board, grading probably wouldn't be necessary, but yeah. it is. Or so, if we weren't buying cards across the world or across the country or, you know, even the next state or province over. Uh, it, yeah, I think grading is it's, it's, a it's a necessity right now. Without it, the hobby wouldn't be nearly what it is today. And, and that, maybe that's what a lot of people want is the hobby to go back to the way it was in the 80s. But you can't go back in time. Everything is evolving. The hobby is going to evolve, too. If yeah. you don't like it. Stay in your ways, stay in your ways and buy raw cards. 
it, well, it goes back to what you said earlier about buying a house, buying a car, whatever it may be. I mean, the, I mean, if you're going to buy a house or buy a car, you want those extra, you know, inspection reports and everything else. You know, you don't want to be stuck with a, you know, a million dollar home that had it all got rewired by some guy that was never an electrician. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are good little tidbits to know. And I think, you know, not to compare something like that with grading, but grading definitely adds an extra comfort level for people to transact. Fair. Swamp Donkey Off-Grid, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Vintage Card Collector says, I'd like to know how you assess surface condition when it's slab, especially BGS, since they are thicker and have the inner sleeve. Mm-hmm. I think this has to do really with the crossover service. You know, and I don't know if you were, if when you were back at PSA, if, you know, if, if, if you were getting cards from other grading companies in their slabs and you'd have to decide, you know, with the min grade, Oh, I only want you to convert this if it's uh, going to come over as an eight. But yep. considering your experience, can you still address what Vintage Card Collector is asking here? At PSA, we definitely had crossovers at that time when I was there. And, you know, if we could identify it, 100%. Obviously, we knew if we were going to crack it out, it was going into a PSA holder or we had to buy the card back. So was there some conservative edge relative to looking at something and maybe being there might be something there? maybe not, whatever, maybe that plays into send the card back and say, we're just, we're not sure, you know? So to be honest, that's, that's where that would be. I think sending a card in today with the values that they're at, the, 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 the likelihood of a big value card being cracked out is small. It's not like it was because the value inherently makes a greater tighten up. You know, no one wants to be the guy that cracked out a hundred thousand dollar card and all of a sudden, boom, there's, you know, all this stuff on it. Um, what we see um, on the NBA Diamond Review Service um, for a car that wants to get, you know, an IPL sticker or whatever, the we do our best to identify anything that may be on there, and we look at it really well. And if we're not comfortable, we'll we will say it. But if we're if we're comfortable, it's going to go. And we see plenty of BGS product and other plastic holder product from the the green service that we, you know, uh, accept, and those those holders give us no problem really. If you're, again, if you're in the right setting and you know how to evaluate a card, you can you can find it. Okay, thanks for that. PSA 10 wants to know, do you remember what the first PSA 10 card was? I don't. No, I, I wish, you know, it, back in the day when when we get, you know, hundreds of cards in, I could, I could I, I would have that data in my mind, you know, yeah, but- it's, it's, it's been a the, while. The level, yeah, it's crazy. Jake Dahl, I like this question. If a card grades an eight, but looks like a nine or a 10, what would be exactly wrong with it? I, I think the question, like, what can we not see with our naked eye when you see a card that look, hey, this looks like there's nothing wrong with it. It got an eight. What might be wrong with it that caused it to lose, you know, two, two grade levels? I'll keep going back to the same thing, being in the right setting to evaluate the card. You know, if you're looking at the card, when you get it back from whatever grading service you're using and you're in your kitchen and you're trying to identify why my card got an eight as opposed to a nine or a 10, you're not going to find it. You know, I will, I will say that centering plays a, a part in that, you know, frictional corner wear on a card, something that's not seen that is seen in the proper setting. Fair, yeah. Great. Great answer to that. Tiger Jordan. Thank you so much on the 200 episode. Congratulations. Proud to have you as a loyal fan of supporter this whole time. Thanks so much, Tiger Jordan. Chris C says, thought the McNall Gretz, the McNall Gretzky Honus Wagner card was trimmed. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Bill Mastro has admitted that card was trimmed. What 
What were your thoughts as the person who encapsulated, you didn't grade that card, but mm-hmm. you're the person who encapsulated it. Yeah. What went through your mind when you found out that Bill Mastro admitted to, to trimming that card or cutting it from an uncut sheet, wherever, or, or panel, whatever it came from? I was, you know, obviously nobody wants to have, you know, iconic cards like that, that are deemed altered or trimmed in, you know, in a holder. So, I mean, it was just kind of like, kind of a kick in the gut that, you know, it, it, it became the kind of story or the hobby legend that it, it's become. It's, it's uh it is what it is, but you know, that card still sells for a lot of money as do other altered cards, you know, back in the day, altered cards, there were, that was, there was no value. Now an altered card properly encapsulated and labeled altered still has value. So, and actually a lot of value. I mean, we just saw the, I think uh, mile high auctions just sold the altered or restored uh, Honus Wagner and it sold for a little under $2 million. So, I mean, it's a different world. Let's segue right off of that comment right there. I, the, the, I mentioned, I alluded to it earlier that there was sort of a, a, a discussion I want to have with you and it really comes I want to get your opinion on, you know, there's there has been more altered cards entering the market, more commentary on that. We've got we've got services now that will clean up your card. So I made a list of things: cleaning, soaking, rolling out creases, and trimming. Mm-hmm. You know, what are your thoughts on will I mean in general, how hard are these things to detect from a grading perspective? But also, you know. The, our hobby is like the only, I believe it's the only category in ephemera where these things are just outlawed. You know, it's just, it's an unwritten rule that we can't, you can't do these things yet. People are still doing them, of course, but the, in general, the hobby doesn't like these things, trimming especially, you know, what, what are your thoughts on again, detection, but also are any of these things being normalized and do you see a shift in future collector and investor uh, acceptance of some of these modifications? Uh, the short answer is yes, it's happening. I mean, the the cleaning, there's cleaning services at shows now. So, I mean, that, you know, 10 years ago or even a couple of years ago, that was kind of a taboo. So, you know, to see those things, you know, relevant and, and the services are being used is, you know, it, it's changing, it's morphing, it, it's evolving. You know, I agree with what you said relative to trimming. Um, yeah, the games are big. The Just measuring the card, if collectors in particular just measured the card, right there, you can get a determination whether or not the grading services are going to, you know, possibly call it minimum size and or not graded at all because it doesn't size. So right there is, a, you know, grab a ruler, guys, and try to find out the grading service that you're using. Find out the kind of rulers they're using so you can match. So you're not using a big yardstick. And the, the graders are using this other stick. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that, that's a big, a big thing. You know, find out what the grading services that you're using, the tools they're using to evaluate your cards, and then try to mirror that. And then you, you can kind of get online with what they're looking at, the way you're looking at it, at least with measurement. Well, talk about, tell me a bit about soaking, because I don't know much about this. I've never soaked a card, but I, someone in a, in a chat I'm in, posted a picture the other day of, of a card soaking mm-hmm. and some people were like, Oh, how dare you? And other people were like, Oh, well, how does that work? You know? Right. So, you know, th- there are people that are curious and then there are people that are staunchly against it, but soaking a card in water, mm-hmm. like to me, I would think that the fibers would, would maybe not break down, but separate or something like, 
What do you know about soaking a card? Is this something that that is done a lot? Have you can you detect a card that's been soaked? The short yes and no. On um, certain cards, certain card stock, you can you can feel a difference. It's almost like they used, um, you know, I mean, using regular water or some type of hydrogen peroxide or something. It's going to leave kind of like a, a film or kind of a a different feel with the card. That's why when, when you hear about why is that grader not wearing gloves? You know, he should be wearing gloves to grade that card. But without with gloves, you're not going to be able to feel the cardboard to decide or to determine whether or not there are other issues with the card. You know, sometimes just touching a card, I can determine whether or not it's fake, like immediately, you know, just just touching it glossy or, you know, the type of the, the good thing is, is that you can't replicate 1952 tops, you know, paper, you know, there's going to be a, you know, a modern technology to try to replicate that. You know, um, but the, soaking a card to then remove a stain or gum stains that doesn't leave those signatures, it's it's really hard to detect. So uh, that, that's the, that's the honest truth. I mean, I, I'd be lying to tell you that every card that was soaked, I'd be able to pick it off. Uh, I, I couldn't say that. Yeah. And uh, rolling out creases. Is this something yeah. that that is is done a lot? Like I've had people I've had cards in my showcase at card shows before. I remember specifically, this is this is actually probably before the pandemic now. Well, I know it was before the pandemic. And a, a dealer who I know came up to me, looked at one of my, I think it was my Maurice Richard 51 Parker's rookie. And he's like, you know, you should, uh, you can make that better. You can, you can, it was a four. He goes, I could, I could probably turn that into a five for you. And I thought, yeah. really, like, you're, you're just telling me this and admitting this. And like, he's like, oh yeah, people do it all the time. And I was the, 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 the naive me back then was like, really, like, it's that common of a thing. And now I've smartened up and I recognize just how common it is. But I think it had to do with maybe rolling out a crease or flattening a corner or something like that. Like, how prevalent are these behaviors and actions in the hobby? And are they bad? You know, one thing that I one thing that I say, and I don't I say this, I've said this before, and it's not like I I really mean it. But if I have a card that is from the 1970s or whatever, a vintage card, and I drop it on the floor and ding a corner. Well, I've altered that card, but it's okay. That that is that alteration is okay. If I'm a kid and I'm eight years old and I write on a card, I put my initials on it, I've altered the card. That's okay because it, it, it's, it, it's acceptable alteration. But if you try to reverse these things, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the hobby looks at them as a very negative action or behavior. What are your thoughts on, on reversing? So not trimming where you're actually taking something away from the way the card from the card as it came out of the pack and not like recoloration where you're adding something that wasn't ever there or that wore off like that, that didn't, you know, or didn't come out of the pack. But what are your thoughts on rolling out creases that also weren't there when they came? So the first instance of alteration is dropping the card or creasing it. And then the second instance is reversing that. Um, the first instance seems to be very innocent and acceptable, but the second instance is is frowned upon. Your thoughts? Well, think about a car that's within a pack, right? So the pack's going to have it, it gets it's, it gets into a box, it gets into a case, and it gets traveled, and then it gets opened, and then I call it frictional pack wear, where the card within the recesses of the pack has a little corner tip that's up or whatever, maybe from the pack itself. So not even dropping it, like you're saying. But if you think about how cards were stored and transacted prior to grading, they were in a four screw, four screw down plastic holder. 
So you had like, you know, half inch inch screws on each of the corners of the plastic holder. So you take that card straight from the pack, throw it in that holder, because that's how you went to shows. That's how you displayed your cards. And just with the pressure that you're, you know, uh, screwing the card or screwing the screw down on with the card inside, you're flattening those cards out. You're flattening that corner out. So there's no greater in the world that's going to be able to determine whether or not that card is, you know, by definition altered because it literally just laid down, you know, based on how cards were stored. So, you know, I guess it really comes down to like, you know, a card that's when you say a rolled out crease, okay. A rolled out crease, most times, a high percentage of times, those cards can be picked off and those cards will be either, either downgraded. Hey, we see it. It's still a three. It's never going to look like the guy was looking, you know, hopefully as a seven or an eight. And so you, you call it a three or, or you call it altered. However you want to, whatever your grading services standards are and what, what those graders are determining what they're viewing at that time with what they're seeing. And then they make that determination. All right. Well, pre- appreciate it. Uh, it. It's an interesting, it's an interesting line of discussion. And one that I think we're going to hear more and more about, uh, as time goes on, on, on all these things. Okay, let's keep on going to comments here. Dave O says, it's extraordinary how often I've sent in PSA 10s of modern cards to MBA to not get back an MBA sticker. Can I call, is it a, do you call it an MBA sticker or an MBA diamond? What do you refer to your labels as? We call it a diamond, you know, a diamond hologram is what we call it. You know, people call it stickers. It's still, you know, like I said, we're three years old. So I'm sure the, the community will figure out what it's supposed to be, you know? So we call well, it diamond. I respect the branding of calling it diamonds. I think that that's nice. Uh, he goes on to say, it tells me how stringent MBA diamonds are to get based on merit. Do you want to just comment on, on respond to that at all? Well, so basically uh, a PSA 10, or let's not just pick on PSA. Let, let's look at all the green services that we accept uh, for review. Centering again, plays a big part. So if the card is 80, 20, 90, 10, 70, 30, in some cases, it's just not going to go. And with the report card, we highlight why it didn't go because of centering on the back or on the front. Um, if there's a corner wear, you remember PSA doesn't have a pristine. What they have is a gem mint. So, you know, under, under the standard, it can have a small detractor on the card rel- relative to being a scratch, a corner hit, whatever it may be. And if that's there, we'll call it and, you know, put that on the report card and, and illustrate that to the client or the submitter of the card. It's interesting. You know, there are there are PSA 10s that used to be nines and there are eights that used to, and there are sixes that are now eights and back and forth. Right. So yeah. and it brings into the discussion of comps and what a fair value is on a card where there are there are cards in PSA 10 holders that are probably pristine. There are also cards in PSA holders that are probably like eights and nines or eight and a halfs and nines to be a little bit more conservative there. But, uh, and that's where, that's where I think your services come in handy for people who aren't as savvy in terms of making that assessment for themselves and do value another third party uh, opinion, I think. Okay. Okay. Agreed. I will say that, you know, one of the talking points that I use when I talk to clients that shows, um, you know, PSA, because they don't have a, a, a true pristine, you, you look at a 9.0 to a 9.9. And through that range, that is the range that your that your commenter is talking about. And with what we're doing is we're highlighting the best of the best within the grade. 
We're not saying the car is not a nine under the definition of whatever grading service that holder is or that card is in. We're saying that from an MBA point of view, under our standards, you know, we're looking at the best of the best. We want the cars that have under our our definition with our standards that have the type the requirement for the centering on the front and back that the corners are all there. It has just like awesome eye appeal. And as we talked prior to the show a few days ago, you know, eye appeal cards have always sold for more money. People that look at a 50, 50 dead center card, probably going to pay a little bit more than they would something that is 65, 35, you know, both are eights, but that eight with the better centering, the better eye appeal is going to trade at a little bit higher price. People are going to be willing to pay more for that. And what MBA services, what has done, what it's, what is, what we're seeing for sure is that those cards are being highlighted and people are going, yep, that's it. It got a diamond and you can look at it and go, wow, this is the best of the best, you know, for that grade. Some people will, some people say, and I've just seen it. They say, well, I don't need somebody else to grade the grader. I can look at it myself. And then my, my often retort back is if I'm in, if I'm engaging in the discussion is, but not everybody has your eye. So yeah, you can do it. So you have no need for their services perhaps, but other people maybe do maybe newer entrants or people, you know, who, whomever, for whatever reason, do, what do you say to, you know, I've seen some memes out there that, that take a slab and have like 12, 12 stickers on there, you know, yours, <laughs> the PWCCI appeal sticker, yeah. a few yeah. more, just what do you, what, how, first of all, like, what do you, what, what do you think when you see those kind of uh, memes? I'll just refer them as memes because that's what they are. What do you think when you see them? And, you know, what do you say to somebody who pokes fun at the whole, why are you grading the grader? Like you already had a graded once. Why do you need to grade it again? To me, it's obvious, but a lot of people just don't see it. I, I feel I do. I think a lot of people don't. How do you respond to people that kind of laugh at the whole grade the grader? I already had it graded. Well, first off, it's change. And, you know, no one likes change. And, you know, my background, you know, with say no to grading and detracting of what grading is or isn't. And so, I mean, we started our company in the height of COVID. We're, you know, the only show you could go to is the Dallas show, you know, shout out Dallas card show. But um, the, the reality is, is that, like you said, not everybody is going to go into the detail and the depths of wanting to, to create an eye that, you know, that takes the extra, the extra, the extra effort level, but investors and collectors who are just interested in buying signed off cards that are, you know, legitimately centered front and back that has, that they've been highlighted with a sticker or a diamond. And, you know, they're not interested in going into the weeds about why and what people buy labels you know, and that's, that's a fact. And then others like your commenter, he, why do I need this? You know, you're grading the graders. We're really not grading the graders. We're looking at the card to highlight the best with what is in the grade and that's it. You know? So I think it, it's, it's a value add and the, the price comps on diamond stickered uh, cards are definitely there. I mean, yeah. we, it, you, I couldn't just come out three years ago and say, Hey, here's the future. You know, but you needed price comps. You needed to get out there and shake hands and kiss babies and, you know, and put your work in and, and gain the trust and respect of your of the of the community and, you know, take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. It make it makes sense to me. And I and I I was going to say, I understand how it doesn't make sense to others, but I really I really don't. I think you I think it just comes down to kind of opening your mind a little bit to understanding that there are people who, for whatever reason, maybe you don't see the purpose for yourself, but others Others do. Not everybody uses the same services in life or in, in many, many areas. 
Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I will add that we had a lot of detractors when we started. We still do. But a lot of the detractors that we had when we started are now some of our biggest clients because ultimately the dollar is going to you know, switch your mindset. And once people are happy and comfortable with this, with the change, then it, it, it takes a life of its own. Yeah. So maybe the, the commenters that are on there, maybe they're not supporters today. Maybe they'll never will be. But when the dollar values change and they're sitting on a card, especially if they have a good eye and they're, they don't have it diamond, they're going to want it diamond because someone else is going to grab that money. All right. Uh, Daniel A., good evening to you. Welcome to the show. Bobby Baseball says, what were you all thinking when you decided to put baggies in the slabs? Baggies in the slabs? I think sleeves. Oh, so, what do you mean? Some, some slabs, whether it's, I think so. I think, first of all, we know Beckett has an inner sleeve. The inner oh. sleeve. PSA yep. has it sometimes. Sometimes they don't. I can't yeah. figure out when they do and when they don't. Yep. But uh can you respond to putting a sleeve inside the slab? I, I the the mylar sleeve relative to PSA because I was there when we did it. If the card was authentic and unaltered and it, it didn't fit the recesses of the holder, you would have to put it in a sleeve so it wouldn't dance around and cause damage within the holder. So that was it was a protective mechanism for the card. Yeah. Um, I, I, for, I'm not speaking for why Beckett did it, but th their cards in a mylar sleeve adds an extra layer of protection within the holder. So it doesn't dance around. You don't have to worry about the card hitting a rail or whatever the recesses of whatever grading service they're using. So I think it's more protection for the card. Okay. Deep value investor says you can get a report from BGS. It's called subgrades, but I'm going to push back and say, no, that's not a report. That's more of like a headline, but you're missing all the information because you don't know what you're, you know, it, it, it's more of a headline. It's more, it's very general. It's not detailed really at all, but it's more than you get from companies that don't have subgrades. That, that's for certain. But I would liken it to a headline versus the report beneath it personally. Absolutely. I, I will add that uh, what the headline is stating, like say it's an eight on surface, but you're not able to see the scratch or the divot or whatever it may be on the surface, it'd be nice to have that extra communication about what it is. And I agree with you. So yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about what, what tag grading is doing. Swamp donkey off grid says is charging more for an expensive card as opposed to something of lesser value. Does it constitute a conflict of interest? Your thoughts on, you know, the at PSA, you pay more for the more valuable card and one thing that they don't do is refund you if that card goes down in value later, which is where I have a, a big issue with it. But I understand they also use it to, to fund their guarantee program. Your thoughts on on uh, on charging more for a more expensive card? And do you at MBA charge have a tiered pricing system based on the value of the card? We do. MBA does. You know, honestly, we want to get that card that's a higher value card. We want to get it looked at and then get back to the customer's hands. We don't want to sit on you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of the show. We want to do our service, get it back to the client and um, and then give it the extra look based on the value of the card. We're taking more liability to look at, you know, higher value cars as other grading services are. And every grading service is, you know, charges more for um, value, value cards, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you think there's a conflict of interest there? Like, are they, are, are the companies that do that? And I mean, I, I know PSA does. I'm not sure if any other company does that, but is there a, is, is there a motivation for them? And uh, you know what? I don't want to ask you this because you're not there anymore and right. you've talked about what you're doing. So I'm not going to ask the, I'm not going to put the question to you, but I understand a, that there is a perceived conflict of interest because they get more money, the higher they, they, yeah. they can charge more for a card 
if they give it a higher grade. And yeah. I think there is a conflict of interest there, but you have to put your trust in the company that they're not going to do that. And that's up to every individual consumer or customer out there to I assess. Would leave that, I agreed. I would leave that to be my answer, actually. That, that, that's exactly it. You just said it. Okay. Hobby Champ says, is an NBA silver sticker essentially just the third-party grade a card already is? I'm just trying to understand the purpose of the silver sticker. I guess I'm wondering if you ever don't give a sticker. Thank you. We, d- yes. we Number one, we don't give a sticker. You know, if it, the silver sticker recognizes its superior attributes at the level under our definition of what gets stickered and what doesn't, basically. It's, it's a plus. It's like, wow, this card met met the requirements, but it didn't quite get to a gold level. And, you know, the black level really is, you know, a 1% conversation. So the conversation really sits with the uh, silver and gold. Okay. Uh, Mike Petty says, I'm curious how all the fake Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Sandy Koufax autographs got authenticated when you were with Global slash GAI mm-hmm. with your signed certificate. Mr. Baker, can you address that? Thank you. Yeah, my name was on the uh, COA as the director of authentication. Um, I definitely can't even detect my own autograph. I've never been an autograph authenticator. Um, It was just much, much like Joe Orlando wasn't an autograph authenticator at PSA, but his name was on PSA DNA items as it was with, you know, Richard McWilliams at Upper Deck, as it was with, you know, Ted Taylor at FLIR. It was, you know, just a, a, a title position. And believe me, if I go back in time and not have my name on um, autograph stuff, even in an administrative role, I wouldn't have because I, I know nothing about autograph authentication. Thank you for answering the question. Mike Petty, thanks for the question is from you. Jeff Hart, was there ever a serious discussion at PSA behind the scenes about making a 9.5 grade? And if so, what were the pros and cons that were discussed? Like, did you talk about this at the beginning of time? Well, then again, yeah. there weren't half grades until 2003 or four. So yeah, there, there was no conversation about that. No, it was really just, you know, it was one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 10. Then there was no, you know, uh, no half grades. So there was no discussion at that time. Yeah. So you, you really can't answer that because uh, you weren't there when it happened. Yeah. Thank you, Leighton Sheldon, for the congrats. Orlando, a collector's dream. Welcome to the show. Swamp Donkey says, grading is a positive in my eyes. Confidence is, is everything. It has made base cards valid again. Good comment. Hobby Champ says, since you don't have an affiliation with any particular third-party grading company, which of the top four third-party grading companies do you see the most overgraded cards from? I can't wait to see <laughs> if and how you're going to answer this one. Um, well, overgraded cards, I wouldn't say overgraded. I think overgraded is, is simplifying what we're looking at because as your previous commenter said, you know, he sends cards to NBA and he doesn't get a sticker. So I think it's just our, we have a more rigorous definition of what can get diamond, silver, gold, or black. And it's not taking away from any of the grading services that we accept. It's just saying that the cards that we review and end up getting a sticker, um, you know, it is what it is. So, no, I wouldn't say that a lot of the cards that we see that can't get a sticker sit fine within the definition of those grading services standards. So there isn't like, wow, this is an abortion. And, you know, how did this get in a holder? We're not going around going, look at this problem. We don't do that. So I couldn't imagine that, that you would. Uh, vintage card collector says, have you considered placing your diamond sticker on the back of the slab like PWCC does with their eye appeal sticker? I don't care for the look of it on the front. Um, no, honestly, what we've learned from the dealers that are using us, 
is that it actually helps recognize the cards that have the awesome eye pill or have, have the sticker, have the diamond at, in, their, in their booth, in their display case. And it brings the attention to that and starts a wider conversation. And so on, it may not be the most aesthetic to some, but people are using us. They love it. They love the packaging. They, they love how a guy will walk by their booth and they'll see it. And then it starts, it, it, it ignites the conversation. Yeah. I, I, I understand that some people might not like it on, on the, on the front, but um, I think it, I, I think people would more, I think more people will like it than dislike it. That's just my gut feel, but that doesn't mean anything really. Uh, Corey Carr says, uh, hello. Well, happy, hello, Corey, and happy Saturday to you. John says, most modern card altering is due to card grading companies existing. Grading is destroying the hobby, not making it better. It encourages fraud. Furthermore, PSA authenticated many altered cards. This is a circular discussion now, Mike, because we addressed this earlier on in the episode where you said, well, the bad actors caused the need for it. And now you're saying that the need for it causes the bad actors. He's, I don't think John is completely wrong here. I think it does encourage it, but, or it doesn't encourage, it rewards it, not say, well, which is an encouragement. So it's kind of the same thing, but uh, do you just want to, any, any additional thoughts that you didn't mention earlier that come to mind with, with this one? I think it's just incumbent upon all the gradient services to make sure that, that they're on point that, Hey, if that's the case, you got to do your job, do your best of your ability and ensure that cards that are deemed not to get in a holder, don't get in a holder and the cards that can you stand by. That's that, that's my short answer for that. Sounds good to me. Okay. Let's uh, we're going to do a call and then we're going to bring Damien on momentarily here and we're going to learn more about the company. Uh, yeah. But first of all, I want to bring up Indy Shack's comment here. Card grading is simply a natural evolution of the hobby, similar to what happened with coins years prior. As values increase, people need more assurance about what they're buying. And we don't only see it in cards and collectibles. We see it in the stock market as well. You know, after the whole Enron thing went down and you had you had the rise of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act and other things that caused for a more, more scrutiny of what, what companies can report. Um, it's going to go that way. And then there's bad actors that just are looking for ways to cheat the system. It doesn't really matter what we do in the hobby or elsewhere. These things are going to happen. And that causes, like you just said, Mike, where the hobby, the professionals in the hobby providing these professional services need to be on their toes. I think it really, it kind of just stops there. And, um, and I think we, we can, we can uh, switch the topic now. Tons of comment. I mean, that comment right there is already, you know, 20 minutes old. So um, we're going to go, we're going to switch it up right now, and uh, I'm going to just have to skip a bunch of these. But thanks, everyone. Like, great comments. Um, as always, Yankees fan, I want to thank you for the 200 episode of Sports Cards Live. Congratulations. Thank you, Yankees fan, for that. Um, okay, Mike, let's uh, – I want to just talk a bit more about NBA Diamond, the company, and I want to – what was the catalyst? Like, what would – how did the company start? Was Damien involved from the beginning? Or is he a buddy? Were you guys having – having coffee or beers one day. Oh, let's start an eye appeal service. Like how did the company, what was the catalyst to start it? What was the spark? The catalyst started with, it was actually been an ongoing conversation for years, like or, or probably 15, 20 years, actually. Um, the, the conversation heated up in 17, 18, when we really got serious about, Hey, th- there's a need for this, you know, let, let's put our heads together and let's see how we can, you know, uh, you know, launch this and get it out there and really make a difference in highlighting, you know, gr- you know, awesome IPL cards that can qualify as a, you know, a sticker or a diamond. 
So, I mean, and that's really the catalyst that started it. Um, seeing what uh, the coin in the coin in the coin world, there's a, a sticker called CAC, and they've been around since I think like 2012 or 2013, and it was wildly successful to the point where PCGS reweighted their registry with cards that have a sticker. So if you have a if you have a, a CAC certified sticker on a PCGS coin, you you got more GPA points within the set registry for coins. So I mean, in, in a perfect world, I'd love some point in the future, maybe it'll never happen. I don't know, but to have PSA do the same, that would be awesome. Yeah, that, that would be my that would be a great conversation, you know. Yeah. Wherever it goes, yeah. I don't know. And you know, you've said that eye appeal has always been there and cards with, with superior eye appeal have always sold for more, often based on centering, but it seems to me like the eye appeal discussion, and maybe it's just, you know, the discussion of everything is more apparent now with there being so much more social media activity in our in our hobby. But, you know, was was eye appeal something that was discussed in the very beginning of, of your day at, at during your time at PSA? Was eye appeal a discussion topic right away and how to factor it into grading? Yes. I mean, honestly, without having the half point grade, that's what I was saying, you know, at the beginning of the show, if a card that was technically a 7.5, maybe in today's standards, but it was centered, it might get a bump to an eight because of that. And so, yeah, I pull definitely carried a conversation. If, if the card was, you know, uh, off center, it wouldn't be in the discussion, but you know, great cards, if there, if we could fight for great cards and they could go into you know, without having a half grade and could go into a higher, a higher grade. We, sh- we, we tried for sure. Okay. No good stuff. Um, a couple of comments here. Jeremy from collectors league says MBA does make a difference on sales. And Jeremy is, uh, works in at heritage auctions now. So he would have some data on that. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Uh, deep value investor says, if you watch pawn stars, you can see how much technology is used to authenticate autos. It's scary. Well, the one thing you're missing, Brent, is that they don't show everything. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes before uh, before their expert is going to uh, to render his opinion. Don't believe everything you see on TV, Brent. You're missing the bigger picture, my friend. Uh, David French says, Mike, do you know anything about SBC? Old, do you know what SBC is or was? Yeah, they were they were they were before SGC. So okay. SBC was one of the uh, earlier competitors. Um, uh, to PSA. So they, I think they were in business for a couple of years or however many years, and then it became SGC. So yeah, absolutely. I remember. Tell us about your partner, Damien. What's his last name? Warner. Damien Warner. So uh, how long have you and Damien known each other and, uh, and been in business together? We've been, we've, we've known each other since the late nineties. Um, I, we have a mutual friend actually that worked at uh, PSA. His name is Danny Fisher and Danny Fisher was uh, a great uh, customer service guy and became a grader actually. And um, he would always talk about this guy that uh, was a, a Navy SEAL at the time. And uh, I had to meet him and blah, blah, blah. Ironically, in my cubicle at PSA, I had the SEAL Team 8 operating principles on my desk. I just taped up, you know, kind of some goals and stuff you look at. And uh, the first, the first uh, operating principle for SEAL Team 8 is when putting a, a team together, experience is a key criteria. And so when I ended up meeting him, it was like, wow, this guy's, he's got a lot of bandwidth, a lot of knowledge. And, uh, you know, I, I respect him. He's my brother. You know, ironically, we share the same birthday too. So <laughs> there's some weird star stuff going on there too. So, yes. That's pretty neat. All right, cool. So um, 
why don't we uh why don't we meet Damien? I know he's there and we said we were gonna bring him on where I thought we'd get to him earlier, but the chat's just lit up tonight. Uh often is, but thank you to everybody in the chat for your for all, all your questions and comments. But why don't I, I want to ask he so Damien is the CEO of the company or the director of grading. Yep. I, I do have some questions for him how uh just you know certain things to do with maybe eBay and PWCC and partnerships that you guys are doing. So why don't we uh swap him in because he's in the room with you, is my understanding. Yep. I saw some shadows earlier. Let me let me change out. All right, let's bring on Damien. Mike will be rejoining everybody. We'll get back to comments. We will probably go into overtime tonight as well because Mike said he's willing to stick around as as long as we we'd like him to. Welcome, Damien, uh, to the to the show now, Damien. Hey, Jeremy, thank you very much. Yeah, and, you uh, bet. I thought you guys talk all night. Good to have you. Good to meet you. For anybody who's watching right now, it says Mike Baker there, but this is no longer Mike Baker. I'm actually going to change that for people that might come in later and uh i'm just gonna put damien in there and okay. uh we will go back to to mike baker a little bit a little bit later when we're done but damien so first of all tell us a bit about your hobby history and uh you know what led you to to, to go to work with with mike uh well my hobby history started back probably when i was 11 years old um 1984 uh i wasn't a big sports guy um, but somehow I figured out that these kids were trading cards and I heard they were uh, selling cards at these shows and making money. And uh, I like money. And so I started figuring out that there was an ability to go and buy cards and make money. And I, it really became more of a, uh, an entrepreneurship for me uh, back in the, the mid 80s. Um, not so much of a, as a sports love and understanding that this is a market um, that I understand very well. You know, I don't invest in stocks. I invest in cards. Um, and that's where I started, you know, back in the early 80s, uh, just watching guys collect cards and love sports and uh, grew up in outskirts of Chicago. So, you know, I love the Cubs, uh, love the Bears. So I love teams that just can't seem to get it out of the hole. <laughs> But um, it, it is where it is. That's where it all started. And um, I met Mike, uh, yeah, I'd say had to be 2001, 2000. Um, like you said, Danny Fisher introduced us. Um, I figured out that uh, grading was another avenue to make money in, uh, in cards. And uh, I have a great eye. Um, Mike has taught me even more. Um, I've probably taught him even more about modern cards because, uh, Mike loves vintage. Um, I don't know if I love modern and ultra modern as much as everybody else does, but, uh, I definitely keep in touch with everything on a daily basis. And, um, you know, back then, uh, it was about, uh, I could go on a show and spend $500, grade the cards and sell them for 2000. And to me, um, I'm a capitalist. You know, I like to make money. <laughs> That's the truth. You, you you just mentioned that you don't invest in stocks. You you invest in cards. There's yes. a whole conversation out there in the hobby, a narrative, as we call it, uh, that, you know, some people say cards can't be an investment. Some people say they can be an investment. There's all sorts of, I've done content on this before. Mm -hmm. You know, my thoughts are that it's really up to you. It's it's up to the, it's up to the person spending their money if they want to look at it as an investment or not. It's not up to anybody else to tell me if I'm investing in a card or if I'm just, you know, does that you're, if you know anything about accounting, anytime you buy a card, 
the credit goes to cash That's or right. however you're paying. And the Absolutely. debit is either going to go to an expense or to yep. an asset. Those are the only two options. It's either going yep. to the, your P&L or your profit and loss statement, your income statement as an expense, or it's yep. going on to your balance sheet as an asset. It has That's to go right. to one of those two places. Some cards I buy, Damien, go straight to the to the to the income statement. Others go to my balance sheet because I consider them investments. What, what what's your take on that? Well, here's my take. I would say anybody that wants to invest in collectibles, and uh, I know these collectibles and sports memorabilia. I think ultra modern is super super high risk. It's no different than. Um, you know, I have friends that are stockbrokers and are selling high-end, you know, stocks that uh, have high, potential high gains and maybe you, you die. You, you put 100 grand in it and you lose all 100. And if you hit it, then you make a million. I think that's ultra modern. Um, I don't invest in ultra modern. Um, I don't invest in the guys that are playing. I have a rule of thumb. I've been doing this for uh, almost four decades. And... I don't believe that if you're still alive, that I invest in you. And that's the truth. I think that any, I invest in players that have already passed away and are secure. And uh, that's, and I think they're, the, the reward is not as much, but I can prove over the, you know, that here, a nice statistic that is Mickey Mantle. I've been following Mickey Mantle since the eighties. Mickey Mantle is an 18.5 return on your money. Any Mickey Mantle standard tops card in almost every grade. Tell me where you're going to get 18.5 on, on, on your, you know, on your money. Yeah. You have to just know the market that you're in. I don't know comics. You know, I don't know Star Wars figures. I know guys that know, you know, all these other different collectibles. When you know your market, whatever it is, you can make money in it, yeah. but you got to be wise. And it, Hey, if you want to risk it, yeah, there you can put money on, you know, Patrick Mahomes, and then all of a sudden, you, you make four thousand percent. I I rather make eighteen point five every year than make four thousand percent because I, I I'll tell you I, I can't pick Patrick Mahomes. You know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and look what Justin Fields just did. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what I mean. So a couple of things there. First of all, Michael Jordan is still alive, so there there must be yeah. exceptions to your rule. I have to think there's exceptions to your rule. The other thing I'll, I'll say is that, and actually, I just saw a comment, uh, a couple of comments that, that do speak to this. So first, Cage Lawyer Minion says, I think if it's an investment, it depends on how much you've got in you got in at. Well, I. So at first, I thought he was going to say how much you have in it, which I would agree with because it's going to be different for everybody. Uh, right. But how much you got in at, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's it at all personally. Um, but Deep Value says the same guys saying cards are not an investment today. We're buying into the top in 2020, 2021, and that's what I, that that I agree with because right. we hear people saying that cards can't be an investment. Look what they've done over the last three years, and I've been in this for over 40 years myself, and um, you know, done pretty well as far as the, the my holdings go. But people just say I'm lucky I got in early. Well, I've been doing I've been looking at this for a very long time. So right. I just kind of snicker when I hear the commentary that people say cards can't be an investment anymore. The other the other thing that people like to say is that well, they don't they don't pay dividends, they don't spin off rental income. You know, well, let me tell you, capital gains are a type of investment revenue or, or income. 
So you don't have to, it, can't, it doesn't have to have dividends to be an investment. The other thing is that they're an alternative investment. They're not regulated, all this stuff. So, but to be an investment, you just have to, you just have to buy something with the intention of making money on it, selling it for more down the road. Anyway, that's a different discussion. We and I, you and on, I love it. You know, well, it, 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 the truth is it's been, you know, three and a half decades of, uh, you know, loving sports and then uh, understanding the history of baseball and football and everything else. I mean, there's a lot that comes with this too, which if you a, buy stocks, you don't get that with a company. No, it's a whole, it's a whole other episode, Damien. Uh, we can do it at, yeah. at a later date. Deep Value says ultra modern cards are stock options. I, li- I like that. Yeah, he's right. It's they are. and they're just super risky too, That's in right. my opinion, from an investment perspective. But hey, collect the players that you like. There's a whole narrative of deep value likes to say that nobody likes these quarterback this quarterback class. Um, okay. Um, let I want I want to hear a bit about oh, actually, we're gonna do this first. The professor put this up. Can Damien fill in the blank? MBA has an a- address at Tigard. Well, first of all. Your office, your the NBA office is in the PWCC facility. That that's clear and widely known, correct? The PWCC facility is three different buildings, and we are in one of the buildings. We are not in the vault building, which you know we we, we call it. We're in a building called Bridgeport, which is within three hundred feet. I mean, we're but we're in a different building. But yes. We are we are in uh we're in the operational building where they do all of the ingestion for what they call the RCI, and then there's other offices in there where their accounting and um, all some other stuff is done in there, for the most part. What is the, can you can you explain to us what is the uh, the business arrangement between MBA Diamond and PWCC and, and like pre and post the fanatics acquisition of PWCC and, and how that has impacted your business and your relationship and your, your location even uh, within the PWCC uh, facility or one. Sure. Other. So, so our location hasn't changed um, from when it was a uh, um, fanatics uh, purchased PWCC to today. Um, our diamond service is a sole service for the collectors. It's offered to everybody. Um, that is not a, uh, an exclusive to PWCC. They have their AES sticker. Um, we look at a lot of cards in the vault for a lot of top end clients, which uh, has been very beneficial to the clients uh, because these card, a lot of cards that we look at that are pulled out are 25 and, and up. And uh, nobody wants to ship them. So we are able to go over there, um, pull them out of the vault. They have a room for us to review those uh, for the diamond service. Now, the exclusive service that we have with them, that uh, that is the RCI service. That is the raw service. And that's why we came out here to uh, Tigrid and moved the office out here to facilitate giving a auction platform, i.e. PWCC, the ability to give the consumer the trust that they are getting an authentic card, an unaltered card, and a card that we give a heat map to. And our heat map is not, it's definitely not as technical as TAG, okay? But it is not done by an AI system. It's not done. It is done by Mike or myself or can learn together depending on the value of the card, looking at it, and then giving 
what we believe in our zones. So we have six on the front, six on the back, four on the front on the corners, four on the back on the corners, and then we have 10 zones, uh, 12 zones on the edges on front and back. So that's 24. And we highlight those zones if we believe that anything eight and a half below. So imagine a damage report in that zone only, meaning a, you know, a rub corner or something, we're going to highlight it. The great thing that PWCC's done, and you highlighted it earlier, is that their scans and the pictures that we're taking for raw cards, they're selling for 10, 15, 20, some, sometimes there's, you know, $10,000, $15,000 raw cards selling. But the scans that they're giving you, and they're not scans, they're taken by cameras, the quality of that, and being able to really look at the corner and we highlight it, you can look at it and go, okay, I see exactly what they're looking at. We don't say what the centering is. We let you determine that. But then you can determine without a without any you know, question what you would like to pay for the card. You're getting an authentic card. It's unaltered. And if it is mini size, we we changed it six months ago. We actually put mini zero on the top of the label, meaning that the card does not measure by standards. That, now, when we say that, if we think it's altered, we will give it an altered designation, meaning that if we think it's been trimmed. But if we think it's a standard card that came out, because we got a lot of complaints where guys were saying modern cards would come out and they'd be like, hey, these cards are right out of a pack. They came from a breaker and they're small. And they are small. They don't measure. And if you sent them to some of the grading companies, maybe they grade, maybe they don't, depending on, you know, how, how value the card is. But so we we change that. So now we'll tell you that, hey, the card size is small, but that we will leave the cards unaltered. And if there's any damage, we give you that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we stand behind that. If you were to buy a card out of PWCC Marketplace and send it to their partners, and their partners are CGC and uh, Beckett and SGC, and if Beckett or any three of those companies were to come back and disagree with us, we'll take a look at it. And if we made a mistake or we really think that it was blatantly wrong or we'll send it back to get graded, well, you, you're going to get your money back. We're, you know, so that... The, the little the difference on the buying raw cards currently right now in PwC marketplace compared to eBay is eBay if you buy a card over $250 they're going to send it to somebody to tell you that it's authentic but that's it it doesn't tell you that it's small it doesn't tell you that it's altered it doesn't tell you anything else besides it's authentic and I know there's plenty of people that are and maybe even watching this right now or have experienced this that they bought a card that was $1,000, they got it from eBay with their guarantee, and then they got it and they said, this card, they sent it to PSA, they sent the SGC, they sent it to CSG, they sent it to Beckett, and they said the card was altered. By the time all that had happened, you can't get your money back anymore because they changed the whole loophole that if you don't dispute it within 72 hours instead of the 60 and 90 days, which guys were using you know, to try to buy all the baseball players and then return them, you know, because, you know, everybody has to have a game in, in, in every industry. It's not just ours. It, it became a problem. And it's not that eBay is not trying to do a good thing, but we're trying to do something better. And I was gonna, eBay, I was, 
Sorry, I, I was going to ask you to describe the difference bet <clears throat> between what you do authenticating a card and the eBay authentication process and, and, and uh, service that they offer. You're speaking to that right now, but I just want to be certain to let you know that that was going to be a question. And if you could, you know, address it completely, not that yeah, you're not, I, but I just well, want to make sure you do. Matter of fact, the, the truth is, is that Mike would tell you that it would be easier for him to grade the card with a numeric number than it is what we're doing. What we're actually doing by not even giving you the numeric grade is more difficult and more time consuming by doing this. But what we believe we do, and we believe this even when we started NBA and the original diamond service and looking at, yeah, I heard you, do we grade the graders? You know, at the beginning, we, me and Mike talked about this. And the reality of it is, is that we didn't want to say, yeah, we're grading the graders. But the reality of it is, we are grading the graders. And I don't understand why everybody would not like a second opinion. And they do want a second opinion, even though they say they don't, because you know what they really want is they want that report card. Because when you get that report card, that's that real validated of second opinion that somebody just gives you an numerical grade. So we've tried to do that and then put it back in the consumer's hand to make the determination by giving them a video, by giving them a high-end res scan, by giving them a heat map to bid accordingly and be very comfortable on what they're going to spend. And the, uh, you know, the partnership that we have with PWCC, we're, we're really happy with, we're really excited. Um, we don't know exactly, because I know the question probably from you would be like, where's Fanatics going to go? We don't know that yet. Um, we know we're staying where we are, that we know that. We don't know where the growth is. We don't know what their, their plans are. And um, I, if I did know, I, I, I would let them communicate that to the public before we would. But um, we're not going anywhere. I, I, I'll tell you that. The, 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 the service that we still offer for them will continue. And um, we're happy. Um, how do you guys... How do you guys kind of live in the same ecosystem with your diamond as yep. PWCC does with its eye appeal? Uh, are you, I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you providing the PWCC eye appeal opinions no. or is somebody else? That's it's somebody else. It's we, somebody right? else. It's somebody else. Um, how, I, do you, how, do you, how do you coexist with them and not overlap or or in the case of a disagreement where they've given the sticker the eye appeal and now it's coming to you and you say i we we don't know how would you handle those types of situations well, well that has that has happened jeremy that that has definitely happened and happened on cards that are hundred thousand dollars and uh the truth is is that um they are giving an eye appeal sticker okay so what, what i want to make very clear is that the mba diamond service is not an eye appeal service it is a secondary service that we are evaluating the grade within the grade at those standards with eye appeal um, attributes. Okay, so the card is getting re-looked at again. And the truth is, is that if we really believe that we looked at a card in a holder and we believe that it was trimmed, we're not going to give it an eye appeal sticker. We're going to tell you we don't like the top edge. Okay, that's the truth. We're not going to tell you we think it's trimmed or anything else. We're going to tell you that it is X, Y, and Z. We are giving a second opinion to every to people that want to know what the cards really are. 
And if it, I, I guess I would ask the community. I love the community. I love this hobby. Is a one and out? Is that what everybody wants? I don't know if I believe that. I've been doing this three and a half decades. And if one and out was the truth, then the truth would be that when you got your card graded, you would never crack it out. And crack outs are, they happen all the time. They happen on a very religious basis. And so that believes that they believe that they can get a better grade or not. I always say that if somebody gets a PSA 10 or a BGS 9.5 or an SGC 10 and they thought they were going to get a nine, they're not complaining. But they'll complain when they get a nine and they thought they were going to get a 10. But they would be more than glad to sell that card, even though in their heart they thought it was a nine, they got a better grade. So, you know, I, I put it, I put the honus back on everybody else because the hobby is only as strong as we are as collectors and we trust and we embrace each other. That's it. Collectors and that's what is trying to do is collectors that. and investors. Just it, to be well, inv everybody, everybody in the hobby. The the hell I, I always say this all the time. And the reason that we are very transparent and three years ago when we started this, when me and Mike decided to do this, um, Mike was pretty reluctant to put his name on the company. And I told him I wouldn't do it with him if unless he did. And I'll tell you, I did that because there's two things. We're not standing behind shadows. Mike's name's on it. We're very proud of what we do. And we love what we do. And we communicate with everybody. And we find that being transparent and having good conversations, sometimes rough conversations with people, still comes out the better side and makes the health a uh, much healthier hobby. And that's really what we want at the end of the day. We want a healthy business and a healthy hobby. Appreciate that comment for sure. Stukes Baseball says, great guest tonight. Very nice. Deep Value says, man, I love how Damien just owns his capitalism and likes to make money from cards. So many ways to be involved in this hobby. No doubt about it. The professor is calling you on, on I think, just uh, using a word. He says, you said that PWCC gives a scan, but you previously said it was a high-res photograph from a camera. Did you just slip in the word? I just... I wouldn't have brought this up, but I want to because other people see this. I feel like you just said scan, you know, well, interchangeably. I, I, so, so yeah, a, 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 a Floridian trip, uh, trip, but it was it, they they are taken with a uh, with a with a camera. Yeah, those are high, high res camera pictures. Um, they are not scans. They're not laid on a scanning bed. They are taken on, and, and th that's why the quality uh, all, through all PWCC is so unbelievable. Because yeah. they're done with a camera. What other sort of, or any other, any news, any MBA news you want to let us know about? Uh, any upcoming announcements that you can share? Other strategic partnerships? Anything else going on? Well, you know, we're, we're, we've definitely been talking to a lot of people. The Nationals, I, you brought it up with Mike. Uh, the Nationals is our third Nationals. Um, it was it was really good for us. Um, and, and good for us on a point that... Uh, we kind of did a change on our, on our view on our, how we uh, price point uh, from the years prior. We had a price point that we charged people in X, Y, and Z. And then if they didn't get a sticker, they were out of the money and the value of the card. We basically said it was $20 for what we call the diamond quick review. And as long as it's stickered, then you had to pay the upcharge. And when we talk about an upcharge, our upcharge for a million dollar card is $200. It's not 
$20,000 or $10,000. So I, I don't know, you know, when we, you know, we bring up an upcharge, we have a little bit of an upcharge uh, to look at high value cards just so we can get them out. And um, yeah, we debuted it at national. Um, I don't know if you saw that. We are definitely looking at going to a holder and um, we uh, we're, we're in the process. Uh, the whole system on the back end is done. So we, a holder to put an existing slab in, like another company no, slab? Or no, we're, just... we're, we're, we're looking at doing a complete holder for MBA um, for, for, raw, for raw cards into a graded holder. So and basically becoming a grading company. Correct. And yes. putting a numerical grade and, and publishing your standards. And in which case, no more need... Or would there still be a need for the sticker? I guess if you're going oh, using no, it. Actually, what you're going to find is that the way that the sticker works, the standards that are going to sit uh, very similar to the PA, PSA standards. You know, Mike was very involved in writing that and then pretty much had the final say in where it went. And so, you know, everything in, in Mike's mind sits, you know, very entailed in where PSA is still even to this day. Um, our, our goal for a holder is not to look for the high end. We don't want a 52 mantle nine. If you were to send that to us, I am not going to want to put that in our holder. And I'll be dead honest. I will help you go down to PSA and put that in a holder where it belongs. We want to create a, a holder that is at the right price point with the right turnaround time that has a credible uh, company backing behind it that the normal consumers every day are working with the $5,000 cards below that works. We're not looking for the big cards. I'm not looking for the big, you know, Hey, we, somebody sent us this X, Y, and Z. We, we, we want, but we think that right now there's, there's an opportunity out there for other people to want to use other services and turn around and maybe a little more transparency too. Because with our, what will happen too is with our holder is you're going to get the same heat map that we're doing with the raw cards. So you're going to get that information um, on where the problems are and, and X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's going to be a little bit more transparent that, that's going on out there. So um, that's where we are right now. We're not, uh, the holder is, uh, we're trying to figure it out. You know, me and Mike have been doing this for a long time and we, we want to make a holder that is um, efficient and good looking and not over, not over the top and not cheap either. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and that's, it, it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, anybody that's ever been in, in any manufacturing business, it takes a little time, but uh, we're continuing on with our diamond service. Um, we, uh, we, we have our, our service with PWCC. Um, we might be opening that service up to other uh, companies. We're in some talks with some other some other companies, i.e. auction houses to do that. And uh, they like what we're doing just to give some people some transparency. So nice. those are some of the future points that we got. Jeremy. Well, Vintage Card Collector says we don't need any more grading companies. And that's like saying we don't need any more restaurants. Like you can't stop competition. But I, I, I understand the sentiment, but I think it's one that isn't that is just like, you know, you're not going to you're not going to stop there being more more services and more offerings and more more businesses coming up uh, with the hobby being as strong as it is. But I understand the sentiment. But yeah, I, I just think that's all it is 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 a sentiment uh, for sure at, at this point. Uh, Jeremy at Collectors League and, and Heritage says the 1977 Topps Luke Skywalker sticker and card in the upcoming Star Wars Heritage auction have NBA stickers. Both cards 
should break records. A little plug there by Jeremy for his company, Heritage Auctions. Those and, two and- cards, Jeremy, if uh, anybody's watching this, that is a 1977s Star Wars collectors. Um, I personally and me, Mike, uh, when you talk about cards that get the looks, um, these cards are the best of the best if you're looking to buy it. They, they, these are these are the ones. They nothing exists better out there than they, these two cards that they're auctioning right now. The professor says I cannot find the definition of heat map on the MBA or PWCC website. Can you direct me? Is there a uh, anything that you can respond? So to? this is a little uh, confusion, and I and I understand this uh, with the hobbyist asking. Um, we don't uh, because the PWCC marketplace. Uh, what we do for them, and we call in the heat map. It was an exclusive to them, and because of that, we never marketed it on MBADiamond.com. It was not a product that was available to anybody but them and and still currently is theirs program um, that we use for them. So we we never we never opened it up to to do that. That was uh, part of the agreement that uh, PWCC was to market that and they have marketed it. And and I, I feel that, you know, anybody can do more marketing. But I thought they did a pretty good job if you buy through PWCC on, on what you what they're uh, you know, demonstrating through their raw cards when they brought them back. Because, Jeremy, you remember they used to sell raw cards and then they went away from them for a while and then they brought them back yeah. and they brought us in. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark Santucci says, food isn't the same as cards. Oh, thanks, tips. No, uh, but but they're both businesses, Mark. That was my point. Not not what we're selling or buying or offering. Uh, the fact that, it, that there are industries surrounding these different uh offerings these different products food is a product and grading is a product simple as that mark simple as that okay well thanks damien for jumping in yeah, uh, i appreciate it thank you very much for your time thank you very much for everybody that's watching too and uh you know anybody that's uh, very interested uh please look us up at www.mbadiamond.com and uh anybody that knows us or doesn't uh give us a call at the office you probably are going to get me or Mike. There's only uh, three or four of us there. And uh, we're more than glad to talk to anybody about their collections and their cards. Appreciate it, Damien. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I'll throw it back to Mike here. Sounds good. All right. So I just need to uh, change the name again now that Mike Baker is back on the show. There we go. That should change over to Mike Baker. So, Mike, you've been uh, sitting in the back there. That I Great conversation with Damien, by the way. Very well spoken. Uh, seems to know what he's talking about. Yep. Any t- anything kind of tweak your mind there when we were chatting? Any anything you'd like to add? Supplement uh, comments? Anything at all? No, I think uh, he pretty much summed up what our uh, what our goals are in the future, and you know we'll see. Uh, the one commenter that you had about another grading service, believe me, this conversation about going into a holder has been an ongoing one. And, uh, you know, I think with the kind of governor on the engine relative to value and we're not trying to, you know, escalate to be, you know, what the grading services are that you and I would agree that that's a big four or whatever. We're not trying to we're not targeting that. We're targeting the the lower value stuff and try to be try to create a price point that makes sense for those types of cards and then create a customer experience. that's a little bit better, a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. well, appreciate those additional comments so let's change it up um i think we've covered 
we've covered most of what I wanted to talk about in terms of, you know, the early days of PSA when you were there, the evolution of, of, well, let's, let's just put a bow on the grading discussion and your thoughts on the state of grading right now, where it's at, um, you know, even your old employer at PSA has grown, you know, really, uh, I, I was, I don't want to say out of control because I'm not there. I don't see what's going on in their offices, but they have grown offices in three, I think three different offices, if not more than that now, you know, keeping control and maintaining consistency and quality. Like is, is that, that's where the hobby, that's where PSA is at today. We've seen, we've seen the downfall of the Beckett brand in recent years. Uh, as far as the way they're they're perceived by the hobby, we've seen CGC now rebrand, come back as CGC, and seem to be growing. SGC has done some great things to grow their brand and and uh, and and the such. So your thought, and then of course we have tag grading now, who I'm affiliated with, who's taking the human out of it and making it a an automated, you know, an automated system. So there's there's consistency and reproducibility, and no human no human bias i'll call it you know for lack of a better term overall how do you see the state of grading right now i think it's healthy i mean i I really thought after covid we'd see a big tail off and we have number wise but if you look at the gem rate uh, reports that come out monthly with the population data that they are are the aggregate data they're, they're able to capture and show what the different grading services are doing it's staggering you know so i think it's great i think uh I, I love the innovation, the, the money that, you know, you're affiliated with TAG. You guys have poured a ton of money in to try to figure out how to add the technology, uh, technolo- technological capacity to scale in the lane that you guys are in. Uh, PSA scaling to uh, New Jersey for a East Coast division, um, China, Japan. I mean, CGC or CSG, whatever. They have a, a new office, I understand, opened up in, in Asia. So, I mean... The growth is there and TCG is powering a lot of that growth right now too, which it's kind of a, we haven't even broached that topic, you know? So, I mean, if you look at the numbers from Gemrate, I think it was like better than 50% of what PSA is getting uh, is TCG. So that's, that's crazy. So, which is great. I mean, another, another, another area for people to get educated um, with what they're passionate about. And maybe it leads to traditional material that we would consider traditional, you know, hockey, baseball, whatever. And it brings out further investment for their collectors. Uh, I will say this, Jeremy, the sports collectibles industry has the largest platform than any collectible in the world. No one cares about, you know, I shouldn't say no one cares, but a coin that gets sold, it's just not mainstream, a stamp, you know, a a piece of art. We might hear about it on a blip on a news article, but we're on a 24 hour news cycle with ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, you know, and every day a record could be cracked and every day something could happen and we're seeing it live. So if there's any collectible industry out there, it's ours that has the uh, go to Mars type of uh, mission, you know, I mean, sky's the limit. So when we met the other day, you mentioned uh, the, the, the card porn name came up in our discussion and uh, you had some thoughts on that. So uh, just to kind of, you know, segue out of, the grading piece and get your thoughts on the state of the hobby, where, where things are at a little bit of, a little bit of that. There's, there's a couple of questions I wanted to talk about with you. So I wanted you to elaborate on, you know, what your thoughts were on card porn and what that mean, what, what, you know, the, the trajectory of card porn being the watchdog shouting, you know, calling out 
bad actors and hanky panky uh, to becoming the the baddest of actors and the hankiest of panky. Um, and the, and and also, so I want I want you to talk about that. I also want to talk about the market and how it did explode during COVID and your thoughts on that because you alluded to me. You mentioned it. COVID had something to do with it, but not everything. So I want to get into those two topics. We're in overtime now. We're over the two hour mark, but I want to. We're going to take a bit more time here. Let's start with the card porn discussion that that you brought up to me and just curious what you were what's on your mind when it comes to that disappointing i mean when card porn started you know he he had actually reached out to us on um uh on instagram and asking he was very inquisitive about what our nba diamond service was about and he, I, I felt like there was some you know understanding about what we're doing and and then shortly thereafter, uh, it was more meme stuff. You know, I think he just played the the line of what, you know, what what the collecting community was when we first started. And it was like grading the graders, you know, a money grab, whatever it may be. And uh, and then his platform became quite effective and large to basically you could decimate a company by saying you suck or whatever. And you know, he had a lot of power or that, that Instagram account had a lot of power. And so he, and it was leveraged, you know, and no one wanted to get on his bad side. You know, everybody wanted to like kind of play ball because boy, if you get on carporn's bad side, that, that could be the death of your brand and, and because social media is so powerful these days. And uh, we just stay too, true to what we do. And Hey, the, the memes, the naysayers, they're going to do what they do. I told you in that same conversation the other day, that, uh, you know, I grew up in this uh, where grading wasn't allowed or people hated grading. People hated, you know, the conspiracy theories of uh, what they believe was population control or doing things you should be doing or whatever it may be. So like the naysayers are always going to be there. You know, if you're doing 100 percent right, something's probably wrong. Doing 100 percent wrong, something's definitely wrong. So the reality is, is that uh, to have to have it come to light now. And shout out to a lot of the platforms that are out there that have reported this. AI Sports, you know, Neo Sports Cards and Comics, you, uh, Jeff Wilson, uh, SCR, all you guys are out there trying to hold the industry accountable. And um, it, if it wasn't for that guy in China who was able to, you know, determine that that photoshopped image of Michael Jordan's photo match jersey wasn't in fact photo matched, you know, we would never have known. And, uh, you know, it, it I kudos to the hobby for doing the extra work and then, you know, having platforms to get out there and talk about it and, um, and bring things to light. And, you know, that I'm, I feel good about that. At least there's some light at the end of the tunnel with what happened. So I, I just want, I got, I got to jump in and just say, you know, you, you mentioned me in a, along with, with others there. I don't, I don't look at myself as a hobby watchdog. I, I I'm not a hobby. I'm not, that's not my content. I I'm interviewing. I, I, I call auctions. I'm I'm not that. So if, if any of those guys are watching right now and they're thinking, what does he mean? Jeremy? No, Jeremy doesn't do that. Just so just, I do. I, I bring something else to the table. I I watch a lot of those guys. Yeah. I, I pay attention to what they're talking about so I can yeah. stay somewhat informed. But I'm not a I don't report the news and I don't uh, I don't pr provide watchdog content. But I discuss certain certain issues as they as they arise. That's but, where I was coming from. Yeah. The issues that arise. That's that's what I meant relative to your platform for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Just wanted to clarify in case those yeah. guys are watching, so they don't think that I think that I'm I'm one yeah, of, uh, yeah. that I'm doing that that kind of watchdog yeah. stuff. And I and listen, um, 
you know, you just said that a lot of companies wanted to stay off of card porn's radar because they could take you down. Card porn could take you down with, with one, with one post for the most part. Um, And, you know, now that card porn is gone, which is obviously a good thing because card porn wasn't what they were portraying themselves as he was actually the exact opposite of it. And now I think that what this has done is it's caused the hobby to be much more uh, skeptical of the next group or the next watchdog. And, you know, the hobby is going to, I think, should at least demand certain transparency from watchdogs nowadays because we learned that lesson. Just like just like Enron caused the need for for different evolution of financial reporting. And just like, and I hate to say it, but it's a fact, just like 9-11 caused more airport security and that kind of thing, right? Like these, it takes something for something bad to almost force evolution and progress. And maybe what, maybe there is a silver lining to the whole card porn thing in that the next time, the next watchdogs will actually be uh, pure and not bad actors uh, hanky panky uh, players themselves to 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 take a turn from AIH, who is you know among the 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 watchdogs out there. So um, yeah, okay. Well, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because you yeah. did you did you did bring it up the other day. Um, the market itself, you you have a bit of a uh, unique view, I think, on not unique, but you're not simply saying, well, COVID and people staying home and going to their basements and digging up old hobbies. I think that is part, I think you recognize that is part of why the hobby exploded. And at the, you know, the the pandemic really took hold in the spring, spring, summer of 2020. And the hobby blew up, you know, really at the end of 2020, Q1 of 2021 was the, was the peak. Um, Your thoughts on, you know, why did the market explode over the past few years outside of COVID? Because I think it, what what COVID did, it, it brought a lot more attention and highlighted uh, people who, who had collections who had more interest in getting into this hobby. It was on the news. I mean, like you couldn't, you know, sports cards as as a whole, the, the collectible, you know, hobby. You know, this jersey sold for that, that shoe sold for this, this card sold for that. There's so much information. So I thought what what that did was bring more people into the hobby, even when COVID mellowed out. And granted, you know, the, the grading totals they're not doing, you know. 5 million cards, you know, every quarter or whatever it may be, but there's still a healthy submissions are coming in. The, the market didn't die. It didn't fall off. It did fall off relative to ultra modern, but vintage is kicked up. So it, it ebbs and flows, you know, and I think uh, the interest is there. And as I said uh, earlier, you know, our hobby has the biggest platform, you know, to keep a healthy heartbeat. And, you know, there's going to be blips where things take a little speculative, stock option, ultra modern type hit. But like Damien alluded to vintage, that stuff is, you know, the guys that are passed away or like a Michael Jordan, the exception to the rules, you know, guys like that, um, you know, those guys are healthy and provided that nothing bad happens to them, you know, relative to any type of scandal. Right. You know? I mean, those things affect collector uh, perception and what they really want to have in their collection. I mean, if a guy does something wrong and he's a total you know, he's a bad actor or whatever it may be. You don't want him in your collection. Most guys don't. So like OJ Simpson's a good example of that one, huh? OJ Simpson's a good example of, of, you know, uh, what you would want or not want in your collection. Right. 
Right. I, I, as time has gone by, I think more and more people are now adding OJ Simpson back into their collection or at least want that, you know, his rookie card. Speaking of that, I want to, I'm curious, Mike, you've been around, you've been grading cards since the beginning of grading. What is your favorite important vintage card? Oh, for, for me personally, uh, you know, I'm a Garrick fan. So, you know, getting a, and I love the Gowdy set. So a 33 Gowdy Garrick is, is great. The Babe Bruce are awesome. Um, I have a, a fond affection for um, the T206 Redback Cobb and Greenback Cobb. Um, I also like, you know, totally off the, the mark, collectible wise, or in my mind, I, I love it. It's a 50 Bowman uh, Ted Williams. Mm. So I, I just love the pose. And, you know, I just, I don't know. For me, it, it works, you know. Tell me, so that you've talked about baseball. Give me your favorite uh, iconic, important vintage basketball, football, and hockey card. Oh, uh, uh, 65 uh, Namath, 69 yeah. Alcindor, you know, hockey card. Uh, I, me personally, I love the, uh, the test copy of the, um, of the or, you know, I, those are, I, I love the white letters, the yellow letters, the, the test copies. I like kind of that eclectic esoteric type of uh, collectability or whatever, but you know, yeah, there's a special place for me with that stuff for sure. Nice. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, listen, I, we've, we've covered uh, the, the topics in my notes. We've covered, I think we, we, I think we did a pretty good job of getting through uh, everything that we wanted to. We, we were able to address, I'd say most of the comments and there was a break, there was a point there to everyone in the chat where it was just too much and I had to kind of skip ahead. So a uh, couple more minutes, we can go for a few more minutes here. If anybody wants to maybe uh, repost a, a question from earlier, uh, I may or may not select it. We'll see. Oh, Jeremy wants to know any, uh, your favorite non-sport. Oh, I have my, uh, my favorite is, it's probably obvious. Well, not obvious, but it's a lot of people's favorite. Your favorite non-sport vintage card. Um, maybe the Batman, um, Superman. Um, shout out to uh, Jeremy at uh, Heritage Auctions for their, his TCG category. Uh, all the uh, the Star Wars cards that uh, Damien and you were talking about earlier. Those cards are, are really, really difficult condition-wise. And when they get a, a PSA 10 on top of it and it gets a, a gold a gold NBA diamond sticker, I mean, that really, in our opinion, is the best of the best for sure. So your favorite would be like the 1966 Black Bat Batman and the 1940. Yeah. Uh, yes. so I forget the name of the, the menu. Is it Superman? World, yeah. World, World, Gun. World Gum, I think it is. World, yeah, World, World, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Superman, that is, I, I love that. I have a nice 1966 uh, Black Bat Batman, which is. A beautiful. I have the raw. I just picked up the Robin not too long ago. The Canadian version to go along with it. Beautiful nice. cards. Beautiful cards. Um, okay, couple of good. Qu- Mark Santucci, do you have any San Jose Sharks cards? And do you have any Kiss cards? I don't. But uh, give me give me a few weeks, and I'll probably have to. Now you're going to spark my interest. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So. Well, we're going to wrap up, Mike. Uh, you know, thanks a lot. Uh, Swamp Donkey says, love the discussion, gentlemen. Much appreciated. Well, thank you, Swamp Donkey. I don't think I've seen you around these parts before, but glad to have you. If anyone is new to the to this channel, because we've got Mike Baker and Damien from NBA on, please feel free to come back. Check out the library of, uh, of interviews that I've done and uh, feel free to subscribe to the channel as well. I would greatly appreciate it. I try bring you interviews just about every Saturday night with uh, industry insiders, passionate collectors, other content creators, and even, even more, I would say. Mike Double V, boatloads of info tonight. Thank you so much, Mike. Hockey Barn says, this is one of the top three interviews to date. Mike, that says a lot. This is 200 
and I've done more. I've done other shows that have 80 and 60 episodes too. So out of, uh, you know, out of all my content, if this is a top three interview, that's saying a lot. Thank you, Hockey Barn, for that comment. Uh, that's really nice. Um, oh, we do have a few more comments that are coming in. Uh, Mike Petty answer. Mike, oh, Mike Petty. <laughs> that's good, Mike Petty. I don't know who he was asking. Mark Santucci says, good show. Five stars out of five. I collect Ichiro is there. Great show. Tony, thanks for being here. Appreciate your comments. It's a great interview. Mike, all right. So listen, I'm going to do my thank yous. First of all, chat, you guys, thank you so much for this tonight. Mike, this has been great. I knew we'd have a good episode tonight. So thanks to you and Damien for taking the time, your willingness to share, be transparent, and just, uh, you know, speak to your experience. I think you provided some grip. And we had some breaking news here tonight, too, that you guys, that MBA is likely, if not for sure, going to be starting up a full-out grading company. That might be breaking news here tonight on the show. So thanks for sharing that here with us. I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you, Mike Petty. Another great Saturday night show. Thank you, SportsCard613. Michael Stone, thank you so much. Mike Baker, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say goodbye to the chat and uh, have some parting words. Uh, it was a pleasure being a part of the uh, 200th episode. I loved how you looked up uh, what 200 means in his diamonds. So it's it's a, it's fortuitous. I yeah. love the uh, comment where the guy said it's a top three interview. I, I appreciate your time, your platform. Um, great job. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It was great to meet you in person at the National. Look forward to meeting Damien at an upcoming uh, industry event, whether it's the National or somewhere else. Again, chat, thank you so much. If you're not yet subscribed, take a moment to do so. And all past episodes of Sports Cards Live are available on podcasts where you listen to your favorite podcasts, as this one will be as well within about a half an hour's time from now. So with that, this 200th episode of Sports Cards Live is now over. Thank you, everybody, for everything. And good night. Take care. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.